0: T-nuts. T-nuts.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another installment of the Bat round I'm your host, Paul Valley, and joining me today is not Basilios, very different looking man. We have Zach Goodman. Of the Nate hit the foul pole podcast, and yes, Nate did hit the foul pole. I actually got into a bit of an argument with uh, somebody on Twitter the other day. He said that Nate did not hit the foul pole. I said, if you watched the, the the replay, there's no way that you can say that. You can see the ball clearly change direction in midair. He said, I've watched it several times and I've never seen that. Then you didn't watch the replay, or you're not an Orioles fan.
2: Matt and I did a breakdown of it, and it's 100%. He hit the foul pole. There's no question about it. Yankees fans always tell you he didn't, but he did. It's pretty clear.
1: Well, yeah, and then the fans in the stadium, when it happened, were saying he hit the foul ball. You watch it. you The ball clearly changes directions. You, the, we don't just defy the laws of physics to fit our narrative, right? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. It was eight years ago. Still too soon to talk about it. It'll always be too soon to talk about because it could have cost the Orioles a trip to the ALCS. Anyway, Zach, how are you, man?
2: I'm Great Paul, glad to be here, and uh, thanks for letting me co-host your show.
1: Of course, of course, I'm happy to have you. You came highly recommended from Matt Pine, who was uh, supposed to be the original co-host, but again, um, he has an at-risk family member, so he wants to kind of stay out of the out of the public eye until things are a little bit more under control, whenever that is. So, thanks for joining the show, Zach, certainly appreciate it. The Orioles... Uh, Okay, so that, there was some good, there was some bad yesterday, right? They won the suspended game uh, from last Sunday. They, they started that game in the sixth inning. They scored another run in the sixth when the game started yesterday. ended up winning that game, I believe it was 6-2, to two, yep. um, which was, f- see if you can follow me here, it was their third win in a row to make it their sixth win in a row. Because it was the, the completion of that Sunday game, which would have been their third straight win, uh, but it was ultimately it took their five-game win streak to a six-game win streak. So the Orioles, they swept the series yesterday afternoon, and then they lost the first game of the series in a really, really ugly way, 15-3 last night. We saw Brian Holiday, the Orioles' catcher-slash-first baseman, get on the mound there late in the game. It was just... I, I, and we're going to talk about this later. Okay, we're going we're to talk about it later when we have a little bit of time between guests. But... The Orioles have a really aggressive approach at the plate. And you live by that, you die by that. They only struck out one time last night, but they only had six hits. And they just did not make hard contact at any point last night. It was one of their worst offensive performances aside from that Marlins series. Which is okay. It's okay, right? You don't expect this team to do what they've done every single game. What they've done offensively, and again, we're going to get into that in a little bit, has been absolutely amazing. Outrageously good. Um, but last night was the other end of that, where you're overly aggressive, you're swinging a lot of pitches early in the count. And Brandon Hyde alluded, alluded to this. He just thought they didn't take great at-bats last night. And then on top of that, they didn't play great defense. And ultimately, it turns into a 15-3 loss.
2: Yeah, it was rough. I mean, I turned it off in the eighth inning because it was just almost impossible to watch. There was not good pitching. We weren't really hitting the ball. I mean, when, when Cody Carroll comes in and gives up so many runs like he did, it just doesn't really give the Orioles much of a chance to win. So it, it was just a rough day. I, you know, with the way we've played lately, I feel confident that we can come back from this. We're going to flush it like Brandon Hyde or Eric Ardidi would say. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It's going to be, you know, hopefully come back tonight and face Max Scherzer and beat him.
1: Well, yeah, is, is it Scherzer tonight or is it Corbin? I believe it's Scherzer tonight. I could be wrong on that one, though. I could have sworn I saw that it was Corbin today and Scherzer tomorrow. Either way, they're facing a good starting pitcher. Let's get clarity on that, if you could, from there, Zach. Um, they, the, either way, they're facing a good starting pitcher. Steven Strasberg. He gives up that home run to Anthony Santander yesterday in the first inning. Next thing you know, he's leaving the game. Thank God it wasn't you know a, a major forearm thing, maybe needing Tommy John surgery again. It, it appears to be the numbing in his throwing hand that he had earlier in the year. Unfortunately for Strasburg, the World Series MVP who just signed a huge contract in the offseason. Unfortunately for him, he's going to be dealing with this all year, it seems.
2: Yeah, it looks bad. I mean, I can't, I can't think of anything that could be good from coming from that. They took him out in the first. I do want to make a note that it is Corbin today against Wojcikowski. I so, appreciate that. Uh, Scherzer will be tomorrow against a to be named later uh, pitcher. It might be Eshelman. Not really sure who that will be yet. Um, but yeah, Strasburg doesn't look good. It, it, it's bad for the Nationals. They signed him up to a huge lifetime deal at this point. I'm not really sure where they can go from this. I would shut him down personally for the whole season. I think that's their smartest move at this point.
1: It would seem to be that that would be their smartest move because you're looking at it, what's he going to get? Another eight starts out of the season if he doesn't miss one. He's probably headed for the DL. Your best bet in a truncated season like this is probably just to move forward assuming he's not part of your rotation. Shut him down, let him get healthy, and then... Get back out there for a 162-game season, God willing, uh, next year and see what he can do for you. See if he can take you back to the promised land. I do think that they were, are going to need to add another bat in the offseason if they want to get there, but that's a topic for another day. What we want to talk about right now is the Orioles, who are off to an 11-8 and eight start that nobody saw coming, specifically Sam Miller of ESPN. I'm going to read his entire blurb that he wrote about the Orioles in his preseason preview. The Orioles might not win 10 games. Beyond the general talentlessness, beyond the extreme difficulty the rejiggered geographical schedule presents, there's just the simple matter of incentives. There are going to be about 26 teams still in the pennant race in the final 10 games of the season, which means the Orioles are going to face motivated opponents all the way to the end. They, meanwhile, won't have even the shallower individual motivations of the round number statistical pursuits, since nobody's hitting 30 homers or saving 30 games or reaching any other recognizable benchmarks of success in this anomalous season. They won't have even the steadying weight of normalcy to keep them in line this year. They're really in danger of starting the season 1-12, and and whether officially or just psychologically, packing it in. We all were up in arms in Birdland about this. And look, you can say bad things about the Orioles. Our job isn't to defend the Orioles. But... In my opinion, being a sports journalist, having gone to school for journalism and trying to make it in this field for the last six, seven, eight years, to me it was lazy journalism. It is easy to pick on a bad team. Definitely. And the insinuation, and I talked about this in the very first show, the insinuation that a major league team can't play 167 ball because 10 wins in a 60-game season is 167 ball. To insinuate that a major league team filled with professional baseball players cannot play one sixty-seven ball—it's—it's it's asinine. It is absolutely asinine. It, a one-in-twelve start. Now, look, they got off to a six-and-seven start. That's not great, but especially early in the season, a lot of teams get off to starts six and seven, seven and six through thirteen games, and and then they take off. The Orioles were a middle-of-the-pack team at six and seven, one in twelve. I get it. Okay, they lo- they've lost 18 straight to the Yankees. They have to play Tampa Bay, they have to play the the Nationals, the Phillies, all three teams in which it, in which the Orioles swept, by the way. They have to start the season off with Boston. And Unless you're really paying attention to the Red Sox, you didn't see their 6 and 13, 6 and 14 start coming because their starting pitching has just been that bad. But right now we have the Orioles at 11 and 8. If they win this Saturday afternoon, the Saturday night game, to go to 12 and 8, that's a third of the season at 12 and 8, and that, that's on pace for 36 and 24, which 100% gets you into the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly right. This is just lazy journalism, is what it is. And I, I don't, you know, none of us really expected a lot. I mean, I'm not going to say that I expected the Orioles to win 36 games. I would be the first person to tell you that we would have won 18, 19, but 10 is just ridiculous. Like you said, 167 ball last year. We played 333 ball. That's a big difference. I mean, this this is just a ridiculous article. Uh, and, and to say we're talentless is just completely out there. These guys are all trying their hardest. I actually responded to a Rakubako tweet about Asher Wojciechowski ski said, you know, we're, we're not rebuilding. We're, we're trying our hardest. This is our job. This is our life. And, uh, you know, that that's just exactly what everyone thinks in that clubhouse. They're all playing for their jobs. They're playing to win. They're definitely not trying to rebuild. They don't want to hear about that. And, uh, you know, to write about that this team is no talent and has no motivation, that's just way out there. That's wrong.
1: Well, 100%. And you mentioned Asher Wojciechowski. He says this team is – not re- re- look, the team's rebuilding, right? But what, what Asher's trying to say is – we're competitors. We are professional athletes. We get paid to do this. And if, if you play at this level, you have a level of competitiveness that a lot of people don't have. You don't go out on that field and you just think, this team's better than us. We're not going to do anything. You go out there and you play your butt off. And, okay, in a 15-3 to 3 game like we saw last night, you lose motivation. Right, you you're in the eighth inning. Your team's down 15 to three. You've got a position player pitching, throwing knuckleballs, p- throwing fa- 65, 70 mile an hour fastballs. Okay, it's okay to lose motivation there. But these teams, the Orioles didn't take the field saying, "Oh, we're facing Steven Strasburg and Juan Soto and Trey Turner. They're better than us." They took the field thinking we're on a six game winning streak and we're gonna win this game. Uh, the talentlessness that that. You uh, mentioned, and that it was mentioned in this little blurb here. Hunter Alberto was third in the league in hitting. Renato Nunez is 11th. Anthony Santander is second in the American League and in Major League Baseball with 20 RBIs. The team leads the American League in batting average at 265 and in slugging percentage. And they're top five in. You ready for this? They're top five in RBIs, runs, on base percentage, OPS, hits, doubles and home runs almost every offensive category that you can be ranked in the Orioles are top five in the American League but Sam Miller says that they are talent they have talentlessness uh, again I'm not sitting here saying that the Orioles are world championship caliber I'm not saying that they're even 500 caliber it's just, it's absolutely insulting to any team to insinuate you can't play 167 baseball. And then add on top of that, the fact that they've gotten off to such a hot start. It, and I haven't heard a word from Sam Miller. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know who Sam Miller is. I know he writes for ESPN, and I found him on Twitter. Not to stalk him or anything like that, I just found him on Twitter so that I can, you know, so that he can see what I had to say, so that I don't look like a coward is basically what what I'm getting at here. Other than that, I don't know who the guy is, but you'd think that he would even put out a tweet and say, it looks like I may have been wrong about the Orioles, but uh, crickets so far.
2: I've been impressed with the national media actually in their portrayal of our season. They've actually talked about us quite a bit. I mean, the MLB account has posted Miguel Castro sliders and Renato Nunez home runs. They've they've given us more attention than they have in the past. But Sam Miller has not retracted his statement. He's not said anything about us. Like you said, I checked in his Twitter just like you. Um, I'm, I'm too afraid to tag him. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's we could definitely hear something from him. Just say, okay, you know, this team might not be talentless. At least, I mean, you know, we might not still win 36 games. I don't know. No. Knows yet, but to say they're talentless is just so far off. That's a, a statement that needs to be retracted. There's going to be a lot of guys that could be moved at the deadline. I don't think that is a talentless team if you're moving guys at the deadline. So, um you know, with, with the way we're hitting and the way we're pitching right now, we're, we're top offensive categories all across the board. Definitely not talentless. That's so far off. Uh, Agree.
1: Then look, is there a chance that the Orioles won't win another? nine ten games this year there there's a chance yeah okay they, they they still have eight more games against the Yankees seven more games against the Rays who have they've gotten really hot since getting swept by the Orioles they have to play Toronto 10 times and I don't know if you guys are paying attention to the Toronto slash Buffalo Blue Jays they have a ton of Of talent on that team. A ton of talent. Bo Bichette is tearing the cover off the ball. Vladdy Jr., Kevin Biggio, Travis Shaw. They have a ton of talent on that team. They're not an easy out in in any game. The Orioles have to play them 10 times, and they're just as hungry, if not hungrier, because they have the talent that they could be a surprise playoff team. And the Orioles still have to play the Braves. Now, they only play the Braves three times this year, but they, the Braves are a good baseball team who have lost three straight, struggling a little bit, but I mean, you're looking at, right now just between those four teams, you're looking at 28 games that the Orioles still have to play against really good baseball teams, and you know, if they went 8-20 and 20 in those games, I don't think anybody will be surprised, but we need to acknowledge the fact that the Orioles are playing some of the best baseball in baseball right now, but what what I did notice about this team is that they have to play good baseball because when they don't play well defensively, they don't win. Last night, Hanser Alberto, for example, uh, he booted that ball that would have been an inning-ending double play, ended up leading the 3 runs scoring. Uh, you can't assume the double play, so not all of those runs were unearned, but the inning would have been over. It's a completely different ball game if – Keegan Aiken leaves the game, and the Orioles are down four to two, rather than seven to two. Completely different ball game, and maybe we don't see Cody Carroll in that situation last night. And I don't think it's a fifteen to three game. You look back at that Marlins series and that eight to seven loss in the final game, and the Orioles they only they only got credited for two errors that game, but they threw the ball all over the diamond. They 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 booted it. They threw it all over the place. They did not play well defensively. When the Orioles don't have a fundamentally sound game, they generally don't win. Um, which might not bode well for the rest of the season because how often are you going to play your best game? And so far the Orioles are playing over their heads right now, and I think that we're all going to take it. But they have very little room for error, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, you're right. The game kind of went south after Alberto made that error. I mean, it was I'm not going to say it was his fault or something, but that inning just snowballed on Tommy Malone. I wouldn't even say it was Tommy Malone's fault at all. I mean, he was actually making some decent pitches. He was getting guys to hit the ball and play, and... You know, Alberto made that error. That's nothing you can do about it. Iglesias tried to make a really nice play. He couldn't make it, unfortunately. It was just a sloppy defensive game. We let that ball fall in in the ninth. That was incredibly bad. Uh, like, like you said, this team is not one that can afford to make defensive mistakes. We tried to upgrade a defense with Jose Iglesias. Austin Hayes is out there now. Uh, but there are still are liabilities. Like, Chris Davis could be a liability sometimes at first. Uh, Dwight Smith Jr. can be a left field liability. And the two catchers really, I don't think, have framed very well or blocked the ball very well this year either. Either. So when we don't play good defense, we're not going to win many games.
1: Absolutely, and you mentioned Chris Davis. The, the dude's a truck over there at, at first base. He's gotten bigger, he's gotten slower, Yep. Um, and he's not... He added all that muscle in the offseason. 25 pounds, I believe it was, of, of, yeah. of muscle that he added in the offseason. And look, he's not striking out nearly as much as he has in his career, but he's making some terribly weak contact. And we're going to talk about that later in the show. But Chris Davis, I'm wondering how much longer his leash is, especially in this truncated season with only two full seasons left on his contract after this year. What I will say about this team is that people have been telling them for the last two, three years what they can't do, what they won't do, and who they're supposed to be. I'm not telling them anything. I'm not telling them anything anymore. Me, this is some of the most fun I've had watching baseball in four or five years. I'm all in. I am all in. I am I am here. Uh, I they lost that game last night, and for the first time in a long time, I was like genuinely upset that they that they lost the game. I was like, oh man, why couldn't they just win the first game so we could have a better show to talk about tomorrow? Me too. You know, it, it was, and this isn't the first time we've done a show after a laugher. It's not going to be the last time we've done a show after a laugher. But uh, when I say I'm all in, people are – it's either, well, don't you want Kumar Rocker? In my opinion, Kumar Rocker was never going to happen. I never saw Kumar Rocker happening because you have to be that bad. And the national pundits, they look at this team and they think they're not bad. Sam Miller, talentlessness, okay? Me, because I cover this team, because I follow this team, because I – I saw the talent that they did have, and I was like, "There's no way that they're going to be the worst team in baseball." The Pirates, oh. I think the Pirates are by far and away the worst team. The Mariners are close. Uh, I think that the Red Sox are absolutely tanking. I I, 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 don't think you can go into the. I think that they thought okay, they felt okay with Evaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez heading up the to top of that rotation, and they make do with what else. Whatever, but as soon as Eduardo went down, I, I think that they're completely tanking. They, they didn't. Fultonevich was out there. And they didn't make a claim on him. I think that they're tanking. trying Maybe if they f- end up finishing with the worst record, they, they get Kumar Rocker. Then they have Sale and then Water Rodriguez and Nathan Nivali back. And all of a sudden, you go from a terrible rotation to a really good rotation. And you have money to spend because you didn't spend money on Mookie Betts. And I think that they come back next year revamped and ready to go. Uh, but I, So for me, all in on the Orioles because I thought Kumar Rocker was a bit of a reach now speaking of young pitching Zach you have for our sounding off segment today you have thoughts on a young pitcher who made a really really bad mistake over the week
2: yeah, I do want to talk about the Zach Plesak incident because it was just really, really bad on, on all accounts. Um, you know, Plesak, he broke the COVID-19 protocols. He went out and he uh, did some things with some friends, and he claimed that he went eating at a restaurant. And then this whole thing just kind of snowballed. So he broke the rules. He didn't do what he was supposed to. and He put everyone in danger, including his teammates and his family, including his brother, who has type 1 diabetes, by the way. Um, so he does all this. And then he makes an apology video, and he starts talking about how he's not going to apologize. This is not an apology video, and he says, "You know what? Um, what I did was wrong, but I, I, I truly think that I need to, you know, quarantine. I, I'm, I'm, you know, what I did is okay. But the media apparently misportrayed this entire situation." Yet, all they basically did was say that he put his teammates and his family in danger. It's just a really bad situation overall. I mean, we saw what happened with the Cardinals. We saw what happened with the Marlins. It all snowballed and got a ton of games canceled. If Plesak spreads this among a bunch of teams and, you know, it could be a possible MLB shutdown. This could get a lot worse. Luckily, they were able to uh, quarantine Plesak and Mike Clevenger was there as well. Uh, but to not make a decent apology or even some kind of apology video is just ridiculous from Police Act. Terry Francona called the video laughable or something along those lines. Um, and and Police Act doesn't want to apologize. He doesn't think he put anyone at harm's way. Yet he was out with eight people in restaurants, and then opening up baseball cards was his. Uh, it was his words in the video. So it's just really a a terrible thing for baseball I, i really hope that he doesn't spread it to anyone um you know so far he hasn't tested positive but you never know um this is just a really poor mistake especially after seeing what happened to the cardinals and the marlins uh this was not something i was too happy with this week you know he's a really good young pitcher and then him and mike clevenger ended up getting optioned to the alternate site for the time being so probably deserve that but he put a lot of people at risk it was it was just a bad move
1: it 100% was a bad move, especially knowing that his brother has type 1 diabetes. I, right. I didn't know, know that. And then with um, Carrasco having battled leukemia last yeah. year uh, and putting him at risk. And it just it wasn't a smart move. And then it's a bad look for him to come out and make the video that he did last night. With, with all of that in mind, you know, Stan, the fan, Charles, he's not doing this show anymore because he didn't want to risk uh, In part because he didn't want to deal with the health risks. Right. Uh, and we have Stan on the line now. First and foremost, Stan, how are you today, man? I'm fine,
3: I'm fine. How are you guys doing?
1: doing? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Sorry, we, uh, we had you pretty loud there for a second. My apologies.
3: Um, it's okay, it's okay. I didn't hear it. <laughs> we've got a... Uh, uh, you, you know, I just want to jump in on that. Uh, I think the Indians did the right thing by sending them to the alternate site. Uh, I think that uh, there's a responsibility that comes this year... With being a Major League Baseball player, it's not just making sure you don't come down with the coronavirus uh, or COVID-19. It's protecting the the entire entity that is Major League Baseball this year. And I think these two guys showed uh, really a total lack of maturity and understanding of the seriousness of this problem. And I think the Indians handled it the right way. I'm not aware of... The video that Pleszak put out, but uh, um, really, really did not do his father uh, right either uh, with, the, with the name Pleszak.
1: Well, yeah, he, put, he, ba- he basically put out a video yesterday, Stan, where condemning the media and blaming them um for for his shortcomings and it was just it was a really bad look for him for the franchise and I and I agree with you that he and Clevenger being sent down to the alternate site is the appropriate response because these players need to realize that they're not bigger than their game than the game. They're not bigger than the pandemic and just because you're a major league pitcher who has talent, that doesn't mean that you're above the law. Exactly. Yep. yep. So, well, yeah. that's two fifths, or, or that's some young pitchers, one of them in, uh, a major role player in that rotation for the Indians. The Orioles' rotation, heading into the weekend series, stand with the Nationals, has pitched maybe over their head. They've pitched very well. You, uh, uh, let me give you a couple of numbers here. Tom Eshelman, 1-0, 365 ERA. He's got a .89 whip. Asher Wojciechowski, he's winless so far, but his ERA is at three ninety-five with a one seventeen whip. Mm-hmm. Alex Cobb. He's allowed four hits or less in all four starts, 275 ERA and a 107 whip. And Tommy Malone before last night's start, which wasn't all his fault, 321 ERA with a 114 whip. I don't think anybody saw these numbers coming from this starting rotation. How are you feeling about the Orioles' rotation? And is this kind of pitching from their starting five sustainable? Uh, I,
3: I, look, I'm, I'm thrilled with that the Orioles are are where they are right now uh, makes for very entertaining talk radio. It makes for, uh, I think it makes for Birdland to be somewhat, um, you know, engaged with the team. Uh, so I think those things are really positive. Uh, I have a hard time seeing the Orioles. And I heard your opening today about Sam Miller's article. I mean, I, I do agree with you guys that that was sort of ridiculous predicting that the Orioles – we'd be lucky to win 10 or 12 games. Um, I said before the season started, and let's face it, the Orioles didn't go out and and acquire uh, a Garrett Cole or anybody of that nature, but uh, I again point to the fact that uh, their pitching last year was so bad, It um, it was so minor league, that I thought there was a good chance that the Orioles would, Pitch better as a group, but having said that, I mean I'm not blown away by a, a rotation that includes Eshelman and Malone and LeBlanc. Right, uh, right. You know Cobb Cobb is a is a, a really serviceable major league pitcher who's better than serviceable when he's healthy, and he's stepping up. And Wojciechowski is is a is a is a talented guy. There's no question about it. Um, I watched Eshelman last year, and there was something I liked about Eshelman, but I couldn't defend what I liked about him because the numbers ended up being just as bad. He seems to have come back this year, and he's not a different pitcher. He just seems to be uh, controlling his stuff a little bit better. Malone and uh, Malone and, um, and LeBlanc were guys that I thought were really solid pickups given what the Orioles are right now they didn't have to give any players up for them uh they didn't have to make a, any long-term commitment and both of them have come up and been you know service. I'll use that word again serviceable major league pitchers Malone deserved a little bit better fate last night there's no question about it uh the defense betrayed him a good bit in this but overall this pitching staff is much, much better than it was a year ago. And again, I point out those numbers that I I pointed out la- probably last week and the week before. They threw 1,443 innings as a staff last year, and the ERA was 5.59. Yeah. But if you take away Jimmy Yacobonis, Luis Garcia, um, uh, David Hess, uh, and I know Hess was here for six innings this year or five innings this year. But if you added up the, the, the worst 12 guys, those guys ERA over 347 innings last year was 7.79. Those guys are essentially gone now. Um, and And the pitching staff is much, much better this year.
1: Well, I agree, and I think that you look at a guy like David Hess and you look at Cody Carroll, and these are guys that are only coming in in mop-up duty. They're only coming in when the game is well in hand one way or the other. You're not seeing Cody Carroll, and you're not seeing David Hess pitch in any kind of high-leverage situation whatsoever, and that kind of lends to
3: what you were just talking about. Well, let me just interrupt you. I think coming out of spring training, I think Brandon Hyde really thought that, you know, remember – Cody Carroll was picked up in the Zach Britton trade. Right. And and when you look at the players that uh, Dan Duquette brought in, uh, you know, he, brought, he brought in, and I'm not talking about those trades, I'm talking about, he's the guy who brought in Renato Nunez. Mm-hmm. Um, he also brought in one of the other players that's playing really well right now. I can't think of who it is right this second. But the point is, they, they had hopes that Carroll was more than a mop-up guy, um, and he he pitched really really well in spring training. I would say that if you ask Brandon Hyde candidly, is this a shock to you how poorly he's pitched? He would say, yeah, it's pretty shocking to me. We thought we had a chance to have something pretty good. He's really got to go back to the drawing board now. He looked absolutely. Last
1: night. Well, and that's that's the thing. He's either he misses the strike zone or he doesn't miss bats. And, yep. and and Stan, I I saw the same things that you did. He looked really good in spring training. He was really good out in the Arizona Fall League last fall. And I had a number of different people uh, who were close with the organization tell me that this was an arm to look out for for the Orioles. Yep. And he just he just hasn't performed. I don't know if it's nerves or what it is, or not trusting his stuff. But I, you're right. He has to go back to the drawing board because what he's doing right now, it ain't working. I mean, he gave up what was it? I think four runs in the inning in the third yesterday, and his ERA actually went down to
3: 50 <laughs> Uh Last night he he came in. Let's see. He came in. He struck out Robles, and then he gave up a single to Trey Turner. A single to Eaton, wild pitched those guys over, walked um I think it was Taylor Michael Taylor, which is hard to do. Yeah. Defoe singled, sack fly, double. I mean it was just absolutely off awful.
1: Well, yeah, and and you started thinking when he comes in he stri- and he strikes out Robles, you're thinking, okay, this is what we were expecting out of him, and then the wheels just completely fell off again. And yeah. it, it- I think you,
3: you hit the nail on the head, though, with him. I think he's a guy, and, and it happens with young pitchers. They've they worked four or five years to get to the big leagues, and one bad performance, and I'm not even talking about last night. I'm talking about two weeks ago. One bad performance, and all of a sudden they go, uh, all this work i put in, it's at risk now. And they, they, they start talking negatively to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happened to Cody Carroll now. And I think it was an interesting uh, call to bring him back up as the 29th guy. And the way that game panned out, it played out last night, it was a perfect opportunity to get him back in there but now I think he's he's a mess right now, you know, mentally more wow. so than, than anything else. I think he's he's seeing he's seeing his career spinning around the sink, you know, and that's a terrible terrible feeling. He'll get he'll get over it, and I don't know if he'll ever really surface uh, much much more than that this year. Uh, but he's still a talented guy, but he has let it get to his head.
1: Well, and Speaking of talented guys, we saw Keegan Aiken make his Major League debut yesterday. He gave up uh, three runs on two hits in three innings. Uh, it was unfortunate that he gave up the three runs because he left having only given up one, and then Cody Carroll came in um, yeah. and, and gave everything up. Uh, is Keegan Aiken a guy that you think will end this season in the Orioles rotation? And do we see any other young prospects uh, that could, like a Dean Kramer or a Michael Ballman or Bruce Everman, who just got over COVID himself? Do we see any of those guys maybe ending the season in the Orioles rotation to give us a sign of things to come?
3: Well, you know, uh, I think Aiken is is very interesting. You know, I was very impressed with with the way he looked last night. Um, I think that. I, I don't see him, ju- unless Eshelman really sort of goes backwards and really just starts really giving it up, I don't see them using Aiken. I won't say he won't start any games this year. I don't see him as a member of the rotation. First of all, you know they did send him back to the alternate side yes. after last night. Yes. I don't know. What what was that for? Um I'm trying to think if they've acquired somebody or they brought somebody up in his place. But anyway, he's back at the alternate site. I think this is a great role for him this year. You know, when the Orioles were very good, uh, guys like Mike Flanagan um, and uh, Mike Flanagan and Storm Davis, Dennis Martinez, and I'm going back like 35 years. That's all right. Those guys used to come up much like Keegan Aiken did last night. They would be used in relief, and then when a Palmer or somebody else would get hurt, those guys would get an opportunity to start, and gradually they they move their way in. Um, Aiken seems like that to me this season. If he comes up again, look, if he does come up again, it might be for an emergency spot start. But I think I like him in this role uh, right now as a relief pitcher, uh, you know, for three three innings, three to four innings.
2: Yeah, well, the Orioles needed to make room for uh, Jorge Lopez, who they claimed off waivers from Kansas City. And then as John Means comes back from the bereavement list pretty soon here. Oh, like,
3: that's right. As uh, Means due back, he might be due back as early as tomorrow, yeah, even he though he's start. not listed as the starting pitcher. Yeah,
1: they say he might start tomorrow.
3: Yeah. Okay, that explains Aiken, yeah. And is Lopez active now?
2: Uh, Lopez is not active yet. He's still going through okay. the COVID protocols, but he'll be active here soon uh, when the Orioles pass him through. I would expect probably tonight or tomorrow that Lopez could make the roster, but they will need to make another corresponding move for John Means as well.
3: Yeah, okay. All right. Um, it's interesting. I, I I looked Sunday when I heard they acquired Lopez, I I looked at his numbers, both his major league numbers and his minor league numbers, and uh, I find uh, him to be a very unexciting pickup. <laughs> I just have to be honest. I'd much rather see Aiken up here uh, working out of a bullpen than Pablo Lopez. Well,
1: Jim Palmer would tend to agree with you. He, he seemed uh, to disagree with you. Excuse me. He seemed very excited he, about about Lopez. He, don't... Yeah,
3: I did hear that as a matter of fact, he, and I I was not. I won't say I've taken it back uh, because certainly Jim Palmer knows more about pitching than I do. Uh, Maybe there's something I'm missing uh, in the numbers. Maybe I haven't done a deep enough dive, but I didn't see any of his minor league seasons jump out at me that, boy, this guy is really a terrific prospect. But I've talked to Jim on a number of occasions, and he and I a lot of times see eye to eye on – on pitchers and 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 their talent, but uh, that's one that's uh, that's eluding me right now.
1: Well, and he didn't play, he hasn't pitched. While well, you're right, I saw his minor league numbers. I saw his brief major league numbers. I think he had something like a 17 ERA in two thirds of an inning with Kansas City this year. Uh, so he hasn't gotten a, a big look, but he's got a live arm. He's got a, he's got a really hard fastball and. If any team can get the most out of him, I think it could be the Orioles because of their emphasis on spin rate and analytics. I think that, they, that maybe they, they think they could find a diamond in the rough there.
3: Well, let's hope so. Um, they certainly they certainly are an organization that could use some, some luck in that regard, and uh, they, God knows they've got the ability to uh, develop people. But again, I just didn't see anything there.
1: Well, I want to remind everybody we're coming to you live from the Live Casino Hotel studio with the Bat Around. I'm Paul Valley, and joining me as a guest co-host today is Zach Goodman. We have Stan the Fan, Charles, on the line. Stan, the Orioles are playing the Nationals right now in the Beltway Series. Uh, Look, Juan Soto is playing at an MVP level. For me, he was my MVP pick before the season started. Uh, Aside from him, Trey Turner's bat's starting to come around a little bit but again this offense is leaving a lot to be desired now it's tough to say that after they wallop the Orioles 15 to 3 last night but that was kind of their coming out party what have you seen from the Nationals offense do they have enough to make a run here
3: I am not real impressed with the Nationals uh, offense um, and and the problem they've got with uh, Steven Strasberg and by the way kudos to Eric Fetty. he came in I just hope uh and, and this went this sort of flew by my eyes last night watching that game. When Strasbourg came out of that game and the Orioles had the one nothing lead, didn't you feel, boy, this is really terrible for the Nationals and everything's going the right way for the Orioles? I did. And and Eric Fetty came in and really sticked it up their butt. And, I mean, he pitched brilliantly last night, uh, Eric Fetty. Uh, if the Nationals are going to make any type of run this year, it's going to have to be based on a, a pitching-based run. Uh, everybody's going to have to jump in because Strasburg, I heard what you said at the opening of the show, they might just be better off shutting him down. Uh, this is a problem that can't be rushed. Uh, it's a circulation nerve problem, and that's not a good thing for a pitcher to have and chances are that he'll go on some type of uh, steroids for it or something, uh, and, and he'll miss a, a couple weeks, and then you got to ramp him up. So for the sake of his uh, career and his arm, they might just be better off shutting him down. Um, offensively, there aren't many teams that are going to lose Bryce Harper and a- Anthony Rendon in back-to-back seasons and still be a really strong club. Uh Strongman Castro was looking fairly good. He's now probably, I don't know if he's out for the season, but he's got broken wrists. Eric Thames is not really uh, stepped up. But Ryan Zimmerman, uh, even though he was sort of sort of a token and a last guy, he's still a professional hitter mm-hmm. and when he opted out they lost a little something off their bench, especially with the DH uh position available. Uh, So, to me, they're a struggle to see making the playoffs at this point in time.
1: I agree, and right now they're seven and ten. And if you stretch that out, that's almost the same start as they got off to last year. It's a, it equates to a twenty and thirty start through fifty games. Last year through fifty games, they were nineteen and thirty one. I look at this team, Stan, and the starters' ERA is nearly a run worse than it was last year, four four eight compared to three fifty three last year. But the relievers' ERA is more than a run better, four fifty five compared to five sixty eight last year. Scherzer and Corbin are as advertised. They they both have sub-three ERAs. But now you have Strasburg, um, who probably won't, p- in my opinion, shouldn't pitch again this year. Anibal Sanchez has been a dumpster fire, to say the least, yeah. for that rotation. Uh, I, I guess Fetty uh, slots into that rotation now. Voth, I think, leads a lot leads a lot to be desired. Uh, aside from the offense, are, is they are they going to have enough pitching to get it done at this point?
3: Well, the loss of Strasbourg is uh, is huge to them. But if if Fetty really steps up, but, but let's be honest, for them to make a run, they they really do need Annabelle Sanchez to have the kind of turnaround that he had last year. At about this point in the season, you know, I mean, I know it was longer than three weeks. He was he was uh, subpar last year, but it's about that point in the season that they need him to step back up and give them what he gave them last year.
1: I 100% agree the Nationals need something because right now they they all they talked about all off season and especially through the pandemic was this team can't get off to the same start that they got off to last year and they've gotten off to a very similar start through you know the the same percentage of games. They they need to pick it up and whether it's in the rotation or the offense some some facet of this team needs to step up and lead this team back because as it stands right now and look the entire National League East is kind of underperforming except for the Marlins for some reason um yeah. but so so it's still out there for them they have the same number of losses as a second place team the Braves um in, in several fewer games they need to find a way to get it going because right now they're on the outside looking in
3: you know, it's it's really interesting. Uh, you know, I do my MLB power rankings each week, and this is my, I think, my ninth season doing them. And uh, at the beginning of this season, the Orioles, the Tigers, and Miami were all in, like, the last five teams, you know. Uh, right. I think I might have had the Orioles as high as 24 uh, at one point in time but uh right now those three teams that what well, the tigers lost last night but they were 8 and what were they 8 and 5 or 8 and 6 going into last night so they're 8 and 7 and the marlins are 9 and 4 despite an 11 game uh you know uh, uh, situation where they were out for the covid Right, a virus. So they're playing some terrific baseball. The Marlins,
1: absolutely. You look at those three teams, and um, you were a little off with the Tigers. They're actually nine and eight, but they've lost three straight. The Marlins they, are, they have lost three straight. The, the Marlins are nine and four. The Orioles are eleven and eight. These yep. are three teams. I mean, the, the Tigers had the number one overall pick in the draft, Orioles second. I think the Marlins were third or fourth yep. uh, picking in the draft this past year. Uh, Zach knows he did a whole live stream of the draft, uh, the entire draft, which was awesome. Um, but, yeah, I, th- these three teams are supposed to be the worst in baseball. If the season ended right now, they'd all be in the playoffs. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. I, I mean, you,
3: you, uh, before the season started, you would have probably said, who will the number one pick be next year? And you probably would have said, well, probably the Marlins, Orioles, Tigers, or Royals, you know. Right. Uh, but Pittsburgh has got on. They so they bad. are, honestly, they may have been the team Sam Miller was really thinking about when he wrote that. Yeah, they but... look absolutely terrible. Do you? And think... the Giants are not much better. Giants are awful, too.
1: I think the Red Sox are pretty awful, too. The Red
3: Sox are, I have to admit, they, they are shockingly bad. Their pitching staff reminds me of last year's pitching staff when the Orioles. The last two years, yeah, they've been. They they, they really don't pitch well at all. That's a that's a disgrace for that organization to be where they are.
1: I think uh, the the more I look at it, in a truncated season, and when Eduardo Rodriguez went down, and then Chris Sales out also, yeah, I, I I don't think that they have had high hopes after opening day, after losing the first two of the first three games to the Orioles. I, I think it's partially intentional at this point.
3: Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I, I want
2: to bring up the Phillies personally because they are a team is clearly underperforming. I mean, this is a team that signed Girardi. They want him to be the next manager. And uh, just, they've really done nothing. They're only 6 and 9 to this point. They haven't played as many games as the other teams because they were being shut down versus New York for a few days. But the Phillies are clearly underperforming. They don't really have that much depth behind Eflin and Nola at the top of the staff. And their lineup's just not really that good. They called up Alec Boom to supplement that. But I
3: think the Phillies well, they've got. They've got that seventy-five million dollars they invested in Jake Arrieta. Yeah, and while Jake looked really good for three innings the other day, um, as soon as the going got tough, uh, he he was he was out of that game. He's not a top-tier pitcher anymore. And you're right, Noah is not having a great season. Uh, their their pitching staff, Zach Wheeler is doing okay for them, right. but they they are. Their bullpen is, uh, using uh, Paul's vernacular, is like a dumpster fire.
1: Uh, it's It's been really bad. ERA over, over 10. The next worst team has an ERA almost two and a half runs better.
3: And, so, and I have to say another thing. For a team that acquired uh, Harper, Real Muto, they picked up in that deal. Their offense just doesn't, it, it's, they really are missing, like, Two or three major bats, it seems yeah. like. And uh, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, Andy McVale and Matt Clentak have structurally put a team together that seems to be missing so much. Um, well, It's, Reese, it's Reese really not good. Reese
1: Hoskins isn't hitting. Andrew McCutcheon's getting old, and he's not hitting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then yeah. Didi Gregorius was supposed to be a big... Uh, free agent pickup for them, and he's not really hitting either. So when, when Bryce Harper and J.T. Realmuto are the only ones hitting in that lineup, you're gonna have yeah. it's gonna be a long, short season. So
3: and I'll tell you who else they invested in was uh, not major money, but Scott Kingery has been a huge disappointment up to this point. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of people had high hopes for Kingery, and he's never lived up to him. So yeah, Stan, yeah. we got to get a break, but I uh, really All appreciate right. you coming on the show, and we'll talk again next week. All right?
3: All right. Guys, you're doing a good job. Thank Thanks, you, sir. Have bye a good bye.
1: day. Thanks, Dan. Bye. Bye. That was Stan the Fan, Charles, joining us for his weekly 10-20 segment. Uh, before we get a break, we do have Craig Heist coming up. And what I wanted to ask Stan but didn't get a chance to because we were running out of time is, so I'll ask you, Zach, do you think that the baseball world has to be put on notice if the Orioles win the next two games?
2: Yes, Definitely. I mean, the the Nationals, you know, they're underperforming clearly, but they're still a really good team. They still have, uh, you know, solid players across the board. You know, if we win if we win this series, that's a third straight series win. Um, you know, we're clearly not the team that we were against the Marlins a few weeks ago. So, you know, I, I think that the world should be put on notice. That will be 13 wins for us at that point. Um, you know, and we're going to be in a playoff position down the stretch. I don't know if this keeps up. But, yeah, I, I definitely think we're in that position if we do win the next uh, two games.
1: Well, they certainly put themselves behind the eight ball in attempting to win a series by losing 15-3 to last night. But tonight they have... Um you know, I can't remember who the Orioles starting pitcher is. Oh, it's Thank you. It's Wojciechowski tonight going up against Patrick Corbin. We'll see what the Orioles can do. Yeah. Got to get a break here. It's a great day to Chick-fil-A at Chick-fil-A
4: Nottingham Square. Of course, you can drive through, but the easiest way to get America's best chicken sandwich is by ordering with the Chick-fil-A app. By using the app to get Chick-fil-A scrumptious food, you can order, pay, and have it brought right out to your car. Would you like supper delivered to you? Well, at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, we partnered with Uber Eats so we can bring it to your home. Just jump on the website and tell us what you'd like for dinner. As soon as it's 100% safe, Steve will open the dining room and we'll let you know immediately until then drive through use our chick-fil-a app or order the best chicken sandwich in the world with uber eats online 5198 campbell boulevard the nottingham square shopping center chick-fil-a nottingham square we're
0: open if you're looking to make an impact there's no better place to do that than the u.s. army whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases develop technologies or seek adventures across the globe the army is where all of that can happen and so much more the army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com slash Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find us on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore.
1: Hey, Dad, can you give me a ride?
5: Ahoy, matey. I'd love to. Batten down the hatches and let's set sail.
1: Um, why are you talking like a pirate?
5: Because our voyage will stop at Royal Farm. Farms for Chicken Palooza 3. Yo ho ho. Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3 is going on now. And it's a treasure trove of golden chicken delights. Sail in and get a delicious, two-piece, world-famous chicken box made with fresh, never-frozen chicken or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy-on-the-outside, tender-on-the-inside world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for only 5 bucks. Plus, a portion of each chicken box sale will benefit the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Well, uh, shiver me timbers, Dad. Let's heave ho to rofo. Oh that's my little scallywag. Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3. It's bigger, better, and more tasty
6: than ever. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. This is Stan the Fan. For a lot of us, the ground has moved under our feet over these past four months. Let the Costas Inn be your piece of normal. In these extraordinary times, I want to let you know that the Costas Inn is open only for curbside pickup seven days a week. The best way to check out what you can get, simply go to their website at CostasInn.com. Their signature crabs, crab cakes, and soups are all available for pickup, as are great steaks and ribs. The Costas Inn, 410-477-1975, or Costasin.com well, as you read about in the Washington Post, there might
4: have been no basketball, but there was still a vasectomy for me, and I had a really pleasant experience because I had a great doctor. I had Dr. Brad Lerner at Chesapeake Urology, and boy, he could not have put me at more comfort or ease for going through the process of family planning and getting a vasectomy. And I'm telling you, no matter when you want to do yours, whether you're thinking about the world getting back to normal and maybe sitting around and watching golf for a weekend, whenever it is, call Dr. Lerner or any of the associates at Chesapeake Urology, 410 896 1616. Any of their specialists will help you. 410 896 1616, Chesapeake Urology.com. Tweet us at
7: Glenn
5: Clark Radio.
1: 21st Century Talk Radio at glennclarkradio.com. Glenn Clark Radio. welcome back to the bat around I'm Paul Valley and joining me as joining me in the studio today is Zach Goodman from Nate hit the foul pole podcast I want to apologize to our listeners for a little bit of dead air right there apparently I played the wrong break uh, so we're gonna have to do some extra breaks today to get our advertisers and my sincerest apologies for that also was trying to get uh, Craig Heist on the line and he did not answer i texted him earlier this morning to try and get him on the phone and hopefully hopefully craig's okay so we're just going to do his segment zach with uh we're going to do his segment without him and hopefully he'll either send me a text message back and we can get him on the line a little bit later or we can just roll roll forward here without him uh so craig was going to come on we were going to talk about the Nationals, because uh, Craig is a big-time Nationals guy, and he he covers the team, follows the team. So he was going to talk to us about the Nationals with this Beltway Series. Uh, the the Nationals are trotting out their best rotation for this series. You're looking at uh, Steven Strasburg, then Patrick Corbin, then Max Scherzer. Uh, Scherzer, two starts ago go left in, uh, after the first inning with that uh, hamstring in- injury, but he didn't miss his next start. Strasburg, he's pitched six innings this year. Uh, He missed a couple of starts because of the hand issue. The hand issue uh, cropped back up last night. He left the start early. Eric Fetty came in, and he pitched uh, a whale of a ball game for the Nationals. Uh, This is a tough go for the Orioles, right? Yeah. Uh, This is a a tough series. Now, you hope to get into that bullpen, and the bullpen has – I'll tell you who I was impressed with coming out of the Nationals bullpen it was Kyle Finnegan yesterday. Yeah. Oh my God, his stuff was so good.
2: Yeah, he he was great. I mean, he made a couple of really nice pitches to get you know the Nationals that uh, a few innings. Just yeah, I think he's more of you know viewed as an innings eater, but he did a lot more than that. I mean, he kind of just shut us down through that game. We only scored one run, but that run was already left by a different pitcher on second base uh, in the in the Sunday game. So yeah, he he did a really nice job.
1: I was really impressed with the way that he pitched. Particularly against Anthony Santander. Okay, so he comes in and he threw. He strikes him out on four pitches. First two pitches are 95 mile an hour fastballs in the exact same spot in her third. What would you? What you would expect to be right in Santander's wheelhouse? He swung right through both of them. Yeah. So then I actually have a. Uh, I was at work when this happened. I have a buddy who works with me who is a pitcher. I said. What would you throw here? He said, I'd probably try and bury a breaking ball down and in. He said, I'd throw at least two waste pitches, nowhere near the strike zone. The next pitch is what kind of looked like a bit of a cutter uh, that cut back out over the outside of the plate, uh, about 87, 88 miles an hour. Santander didn't offer. It was too far off the plate. Then the next pitch is an 85-mile-an-hour changeup at the top of the zone. And you're thinking – you know Santander sitting there, and he's thinking uh, – He's going to try and blow another fastball by me. I'm going to get out in front of this one and and sit dead red on it. And he swung right through it, way out in front on it. Uh, That sequence right there made me pay more attention to Kyle Finnegan. And then when I watched his stuff, he hit his spots. He he throws hard, hits his spots, great command. I think the Nationals have something in Kyle Finnegan. I don't know much about him. I don't know. What kind of draft pick he was, or where he lines up in their in their bullpen? I don't know if he was out there alternate training side. I don't don't know anything about the guy, but just passing the eye test for me, I was extremely impressed, and actually found myself wishing that the Orioles had an arm like that in their bullpen.
2: Yeah, I mean the Nationals, I think, could use all the bullpen help they can get. I saw them, you know, earlier this year play the Orioles, and I said, "Wow, this is not," you know. I don't really know how this bullpen, which is not very good, won a World Series last year. It's not drastically changed. I mean, Sean Doolittle has clearly taken a step back. He really has struggled against the Orioles. Um, But yeah, they might have something with Kyle Finnegan. I'm going to check on uh, his draft status right now. But, um, you know, if he can keep pitching like he did yesterday, he just blew Santander away. He had no chance. Um, That that was a really impressive outing from a guy that nobody really knew that much about.
1: I absolutely agree. And you know, you you, at, you said I don't know how this team won a World Series with that bullpen. Well, the bullpen didn't really pitch all that much. You 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 yeah. had um they had Hudson for the playoff run last year, yeah. right? They had Hudson. They had Doolittle, but it was mostly you're going to have Strasburg or Scherzer start, and then Corbin's going to come in and pitch in relief. And they they constantly had uh, Sanchez did the same thing. They constantly had rotation pieces. You know, filling the gaps until you got to the last inning or so, uh, so you get to the back end of that bullpen, which was where their best bullpen arms were. Right. And to me, baseball was headed in a direction where, and it still could be headed in that direction, where starting pitchers are only going four, five innings, and then you're turning it over to the bullpen. You're having a lot more openers these days. The race kind of started that trend a couple of years back. And I've always said, the teams that have the best starting pitching are the teams that are going to win the World Series, because they have guys who can get deeper into the into the ball game. If you have for the, the Dodgers, for example, if you have May or Kershaw or Walker Bueller going uh, in, in in a five game series or a seven game series, and that pitcher goes six, seven innings, and then you only need three innings out of at most out of your bullpen you're doing your team a huge service by being able to get deep into the game I've never been a big proponent of oh well our best arms are in our bullpen so let's get the starter out of there as quickly as possible and let the bullpen carry it I just feel like you're destined for failure and the Nationals kind of proved not that I'm not tooting my own horn here but they kind of proved me right last postseason in that like we said you had Strasburg or you had Scherzer start a game then you have Patrick Corbin coming who is he's an elite starting pitcher in major league baseball and that's that's how you negate a really really historically bad bullpen
2: yeah i mean you look back at the Orioles teams of 2012 and 14 and 16 all the playoff teams and we didn't win a world series in any of those years I and mean, we went you know into the playoffs in all three and maybe you're right about that. You know, we didn't get a much length from our starting pitching. It wasn't very good starting pitching. You know, we had Gosman and Bundy and then just kind of a bunch of other stuff like Ubaldo and Miley and all those interesting guys we had uh, throughout the years. But we never really had an ace. There was never a guy that would come out every day besides maybe Tillman back in, you know, 14 and early and 15 um, but we never really had the ace that could just throw a couple perfect innings like Strasburg or Schurz or even Corbin, and the Nationals use that to their uh, to their advantage, and the Orioles never really had a a clear ace or you know a, a guy that could give them that many innings, so they went to their bullpen, and unfortunately that I think is one of the reasons we never really won a World Series, um, and and the Nationals like you said, just can use that great starting pitching to uh, to win that World Series last year. And they really went deep into games, and that's not happening as much this year.
1: Well, and if they want to make a return back to the postseason, they're going to need that starting pitching to step up. We talked about with Stan how the starting pitching ERA went from three fifty three last year to four forty eight this year. Annabelle Sanchez has been just god-awful. In that rotation, Strasburg—he's—he had one start where he—he retired the Orioles in order for four innings. He had faced the minimum, and then the Orioles' hot bats came out in the fifth inning and knocked him out of the ball game. But and then and then he leaves in the in the first inning of his next start. So you've gotten five plus innings out of Steven Strasburg. You've gotten great pitching from Scherzer. You great pitching from Corbin. then you have Voth and you have, I guess, Fetty will take over for Strasburg. They'll be on the same amount of rest. Fetty, Fetty was absolutely fantastic last night. Really limited. He li- I think he limited the Orioles to one hit over his yeah. five and two thirds innings. Just phenomenal stuff out of him.
2: The way he pitched was amazing. I mean, uh, Austin Hayes and Iglesias did get two hits off of him, so there was that, but they were both pretty weak hits. They weren't, you know, gappers or anything, just simple singles. And he pitched really well. Um, you know, I do want to make a note on Kyle Finnegan real quick. He mm-hmm. was a sixth-round draft pick by Oakland back in 2013. He's now wow. 28 years old, and that was uh, this is his Major League debut year. So he did start four games ago in his Major League debut. Um, but, yeah, he looks real good for them. But, yeah, Fetty threw the ball really, really well. Uh, we didn't make much hard contact off him, and uh, I wouldn't expect you know him not to be in the starting rotation. It seems like a perfect idea to put him right there.
1: Yeah, it seems like he just slides right in. Now, he's not Steven Strasburg. You know, but it it seems like he slides right in with Strasburg going down with the injury. He came in and picked up the slack for him. Now the Nationals bats, and we talked about this at length. We talked about this a number of times on the show. At one point, they were averaging three runs per game through their first ten games of the year. Trey Turner got off to an awfully slow start. Um, he's kind of picked it back up. He's hitting over two seventy his last seven games, so he's he's off to a better start. So don't miss time, but. Juan Soto, before I, w- I found out that he came down with COVID-19, he was going to be my MVP pick for this year. The, w- what that guy can do, what that kid can do with the bat is just absolutely unbelievable. He hit a ball the other day <clears throat> 466 feet in City Field. that hit off the facade yeah. in the upper deck. The day before that, he hit a 463 foot home run. I still think and Eric Ardini is going to be on the show a little bit later today. He and I talked about this. He's I think he's going to hit the warehouse this series. I, I, I think this guy has an absolute chance. A 466-foot home run at Camden Yards is halfway up the warehouse.
2: Yeah, I mean, nobody has hit the warehouse to this point. It was Ken Griffey Jr. in the home run derby many years ago. I believe it was 93. Yeah. But nobody has done it. I was kind of shocked Chris Davis didn't do it or another one of the big power backs Palmeiro, that the Orioles had. Like Palmero, Anderson. Right? Yeah, it, they've had tons of guys that have had massive power, left-handed power. Uh, Juan Soto, you're right. He seems like kind of the perfect guy to do it. He has a huge swing. He hit that ball so hard the other day. hit the Shake Shack, I think, in, in City Field. Uh, it, it was unbelievable. And Soto is a, is clearly one of the best hitters in the league right now, and especially being a lefty, I, I do think he could definitely hit the warehouse. Uh, I, I did hear someone else bring up Rowdy Tellez as a possible – the Blue Jays' first baseman yeah. as a guy who could possibly hit the warehouse because he is massive power too.
1: Well, and a couple of guys that we're not going to see – this year that I think have a shot in the future. And kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but um, Joey Gallo for the Rangers. uh, Nomar Mazzara for the White Sox. There's some big left-handed power bats. It is amazing to me that in the... What is it now? Twenty. This is the 29th year 29. of of baseball. Camden Yards. Nobody has done it in a game. Griffey did it in the home run derby. In a home run derby, he didn't even win. Juan Gonzalez won that home run derby, but nobody remembers that except for me. Apparently, um, everybody remembers Griffey hitting the warehouse, and it was the bottom facade of the of the fair uh, of the fairhouse of the warehouse. Uh, I think that at some point in the next year or two, that that's that it's going to happen. I don't know if there's something with the winds. Uh, between they come off a of utah street or come from center field with all the buildings i have no idea but it, it's only 400 griffey's shot was i think 432 feet that hit the warehouse right we see people hit home runs longer than that on a daily basis this day and age that that, that warehouse is going to get pegged at some point i think it's coming but anyway
2: as you mentioned joey gallo mm-hmm. hits like 472 foot bombs Every couple nights, it, it's just massive power. Unfortunately, he doesn't come to Baltimore enough to maybe make that happen. But Juan Soto definitely a chance. The Nationals' broadcast was actually watching uh, last night, and they did show where it would hit, and it was about maybe three stories up. It was a, it was a massive bomb.
1: Yeah, no, that's exactly exactly. So. The Nationals' offense, Soto and Turner, kind of pacing them. They're not having the the greatest offensive season. Starlin Castro has been a nice addition, but he broke his wrist. He may he may be done for the year. Too bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, as Drubal Cabrera, uh, just time and time again proving that Texas gave up on him too soon. It, w- what he did last year for the team, what he's doing this year for the team. He had, he had a bomb last night too, if if, if I'm correct. Uh, drove drove in a couple of runs. He had himself a nice opening game of that series. Adam Eaton. I wrote my notes before the game last night, and I said that he homered in his first at-bat off of Garrett Cole, yep. and he only had two RBI since and no home runs. He hit in about two twenty eight. So, of course, last night in his last two at-bats, he gets a couple of base hits, drives in a couple of runs. Every National starter had a base hit la- last night. Mm. If you're a Nationals fan, you hope it's a sign of things to come. Um,
2: yeah, for sure. They've been looking for that. Um, and, and there are a lot of guys, like you said, Astrubel Cabrera, is clearly underrated. I mean, he has played everywhere. He can play so many positions. He's such a great utility guy for them, but he makes a lot of starts too. Uh, like you said, so underrated. Just kind of crushed us every night um, in, in the last series too, and, and tonight as well. Last night.
1: Yeah. So the, the hopefully for the for Nationals and their fans' sake, the offense is going to start kind of picking up the pace here. If you're an Orioles fan, you kind of hope that it doesn't start till Monday. Um, And last night was just kind of the outlier and that they're going to get back on the right track here coming up. Um, But the starters ERA, nearly a run worse. The bullpen ERA, more than a run better. Sean Doolittle has had his struggles for sure for the Nationals. Um, We already talked a little bit about the rotation. I just just, got to be blunt here. I don't think the Nationals are a playoff team.
2: I, I, I totally agree. I
1: just, I just, I just don't think they're a playoff team. What they did last year, because they have Rendon in that order, and he was protecting Soto. If you don't pitch to Soto, you got to pitch to Rendon. If you don't pitch to Rendon, you got to pitch to Soto. Ryan Zimmerman, when he's healthy, was a big coup for them. He, uh, he's a professional hitter, as Stan alluded to. They don't have those guys anymore. They have Soto. And that's it. The offense, I don't think he's good enough. The bullpen, I don't think he's good enough. And the starting rotation, it, they're, they're, they 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 got to prove they can stay on the field, and they're not going to throw complete games. You know, every every time out, nobody does it these days. So, look, it, w- Nationals, great story last year, uh, good team last year. I still think they're a good team this year, but I don't think they're a playoff team. And I think that they did their, themselves a disservice by not adding a bat in the offseason, by letting Rendon walk. Now, Rendon's a California guy. That's where he wanted to be. I get that. Uh, And Steven Strasburg, World Series MVP. He was the former number 1 overall pick in the draft. This guy has all-time talent. So you have to pay him, right? You had to give him the contract that you gave him. But now you have $60 million tied up in that Nationals rotation between an aging Scherzer and uh, Steven Strasburg, who spent – as in my opinion has spent as much time on the DL on the IL as he has off of it in his career and you have no thump in your order other than Soto and he's not going to get pitched to so good team yeah playoff team probably not uh what i will say about the nationals and we again we talked about before 7 and 10 right now yeah. 7 and 10 and if you that's almost the same start as last year percentage wise uh, it, it equals out to 20 and 30 in a 50-game start. They were 19-31 and 31 last year. We stressed all offseason and in the beginning of this season that they could not get off to that slow of a start. Well, we're three weeks in, and they're off to that slow of a start. It's it's not looking good for the Nationals. Maybe they can come out and Corbin and Scherzer can shut them down, and maybe they can take the same approach that the Orioles hitters have taken where they say, you know what, people are counting us out, and then they come in and start tearing the cover off the ball. But just not playing good baseball and in a, in a shortened season – they're putting themselves behind the eight ball.
2: Yeah, all signs point to a really quiet deadline. Every writer has basically said that it's going to be hard to move prospects because they have to be on the 60-man. You can only do one player to be named later. So it's a really tough deadline for teams to acquire big talent. Uh, you know, the Nationals are probably a team that may make one of the few moves because they really could use a, a guy to supplement that lineup or pitching staff. Uh, especially, you know, Eric Thames, like you said, just really not getting it done at first base. He's he's not a, a, a playoff caliber first baseman. Uh, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is a huge loss for them. So I could see them upgrading in a, in a few ways, and I think the trade deadline is probably their best spot for that. Unfortunately, the Nats don't have a great farm system, so it's not like they can trade away huge prospects like they did before uh, for a couple of the guys they have. But, you know, I, I think they're poised to make a pretty big move.
1: Well... Hopefully, but that's assuming that they're within striking distance. Yeah, definitely. They, they, they may end up being sellers if their, their trend continues. But, look, we're going to go ahead and we're going to get a break here. Sorry that we couldn't get Craig on the line again. Hope that Craig's okay. May have been my fault. I, I, I should have reached out to him last night. I didn't reach out to him until this morning, and I didn't hear anything back. So um, we'll check in on Craig. We'll hope that he's okay. When we come back, we're going to do the payoff pitch around the league.
0: If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find out. Us- on social media at US Army Baltimore.
1: Hey Dad, can you give me a ride?
5: Ahoy, matey! I'd love to. Batten down the hatches and let's set sail.
1: Um, why are you talking like a pirate?
5: Because our voyage will stop at Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3. Yo ho ho! Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3 is going on now, and it's a treasure trove of golden chicken delights. Sail in and get a delicious, two-piece, world-famous chicken box made with fresh, never-frozen chicken or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal, for only five bucks. Plus, a portion of each chicken box sale will benefit the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Well, uh, shiver me timbers, Dad. Let's heave ho to rofo. Oh that's my little scallywag. Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3.
4: It's bigger,
5: better, and more tasty than ever. Real fresh, real fast.
4: Royal Farms. Baltimore's favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32 ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443 835 0906 or 410 547 8891 or visit SlidersBaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer at sliders
6: the latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Ardine spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Ken Zalas offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm Stores. And you can always find the entire edition. As well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, Terps at pressboxonline.com. All right, we are back with the batter
1: round. I'm Paul Valley. This is Zach Goodman, and we're coming to you from the Live Casino Hotel Studio. Uh, We just heard Stan doing a uh, live read for PressBox Print Edition. If you're missing your Stan the Fan fix, you can get it twice a week on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley talk baseball, and every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein talk to a newsmaker in the sports world. This week, Stan and Ross caught up with former Orioles pitcher Mike Boddicker, while Stan and Gary chatted with with, Matt Sorry, it chatted with Mike Berger from Berger Sports Marketing. Find both shows via the videos tab at facebook.com slash Sports or at pressboxonline.com. And coming up this Monday night, you won't want to miss it when Stan and Ross are joined by former Orioles outfielder Al Bumbrey at 8 o'clock. So, yeah, tune in on Monday. Al Bumbrey's going to be on there with, uh, with Stan, the Fan Charles, and Ross Grimsley. So it should be a good show for them on Monday night. Now's the time in the show when we're going to get to you the uh, – to the nice Baltimore accent there, we're going to get to the payoff pitch around the league. Uh, Lance Lynn went to distance, limiting Colorado to just two hits while improving to 3-0 and lowering his ERA to 111 as the Rangers beat the Rockies 3-2. Christian Yelich had a two-run homer in the sixth to cap the scoring and lift the Brewers over the Cubs 4-3. Pablo Lopez, who gave the Orioles some trouble a couple of weeks ago, struck out eight batters over six innings as the Marlins widened their lead in the NL East to two games while handing the Braves their fourth consecutive loss 8-2. Cleveland used a six-run fourth inning to earn their franchise record 18th straight victory over the Detroit Tigers 10-5. Sonny Gray, who's really revitalizing his career, struck out 10 over six and two-thirds innings, improving to 4-1 and, and lowering his ERA to 2.05 in the Reds' 8-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Bryce Harper provided the dramatics for the Phillies with a walk-off single to score Roman Quinn and lift the Phillies to a 6-5 victory over the Mets. Garrett Cole won his 20th straight decision dating back to last year, and Mike Talkman drove in four as the Yankees walloped the Red Sox 10 3. The Blue Jays hit six home runs to call cool off the Red Hot Rays 12 4. Mike Yastrzemski homered again, and the Giants got seven strong innings out of Johnny Cueto. But the Athletics, who trailed by five entering the ninth, scored five runs, highlighted by a Stephen Piscotty Grand Slam to tie the game, and won it on a Mark Kanasak fly in the tenth, 8 to 7. You know, I think every week because I do my show prep and I do these uh, I do these out of town scores every week. I think there's been a West Coast game that's gone to extra innings, which wow. every, I, I think it's been every week. It keeps me up till 1.30 in the morning doing these games. Uh, Cody Bellinger picked up where Mookie Betts left off, hitting two homers of his own a night after Betts hit three, and the Dodgers stifled the Trout-led Angels seven to four. Merrill Kelly won his third game and lowered his ER rate of 171 with six and two-thirds of innings of shutout baseball as Arizona blanked San Diego. They were blanking San Diego. They beat San Diego 5-1 to one last night. Jordan Alvarez on my bench in fantasy because I didn't realize he came off the the IL. Returned to game action for the first time in 2020 by homering in his first at-bat as part of a nine-run first inning and drove in four to lead the Astros to an 11-1 win over the last-place Mariners. Zach. What do you have for upcoming games for us today?
2: Yeah, a lot of good games on tap. Uh, At the 2 o'clock hour, the Cardinals play the White Sox in the return of the Cardinals in a game one of two of the doubleheader. Uh, at 3 o'clock hour, the underperforming Brewers will battle the league leading Cubs in an NL Central matchup. At the 5 o'clock hour, game two of the Cardinals White Sox doubleheader. And the Cards will be playing a lot of doubleheaders this year, obviously just coming back from their COVID crisis. Uh, at the 6 o'clock hour, got a few games on tap an NL East matchup between two struggling teams in the Mets and the Phillies, both underperforming quite a bit. Uh, a much more interesting NL East matchup, though, between the Braves and the Marlins. And the Marlins are looking to keep going and be red hot. Uh, The league-worst Pirates face the second-place Reds, and the Pirates will stay in line for Kumar Rocker, probably get another few losses in that series. Uh, The Indians versus the Tigers at 6-10, and that's a tough AL Central battle. Both teams playing a little bit better than expected. And finally, the Red Hot Rays will face off against the young Blue Jays who are off to a slow start, but the Rays will try their best to unseat the Orioles for second place. At 7.07, there's a legendary rivalry of the fifth-place Red Sox versus the dominating first-place Yankees. And keeping going with the 7 o'clock hour, there's an interleague matchup between the league-best A's and the Giants. Uh, the rebuilding Royals will face off against the powerful lineup of the Twins, who have a commanding lead for first place in their division. Uh, the struggling Mariners, Mariners will visit Houston, where they'll try to unseat the Angels for fourth place. And finally, at the 7 o'clock hour, a battle of beltways between the O's and the Nats. The O's can try to keep shocking the world, and the Nats will try to build on their 15-3 win last night. Finally, Machado's Padres will battle the Diamondbacks at the 8 o'clock hour, who are unexpectedly struggling a bit this year. Uh, The Rangers will visit the Rockies at 8 o'clock as well, who have been perhaps the most surprising winner of the 2020 season so far. And the last game of the night will start at 940 on the West Coast. Mookie Betts' Dodgers will face off against Mike Trout's Angels in a battle of the game's best players.
1: Yeah, it's uh. Mookie Betts three home runs the other day. He's incredible. He he, he is he's absolutely phenomenal. He has he is tied a major league record. He's one of only three players to have six three homer games in his career, and he's done it in more than a thousand games less than any other. It's, it's player. unbelievable.
2: I mean, I, I'm happy to not see him in the AL East anymore. I can tell you that.
1: But it's uh, he hit it seemed like he hit 37 home runs against the Orioles back in 2016. I think it was nine. But he and then Aaron Judge in 2017 just absolutely destroyed the Orioles pitching. Glad to see him in the NL West so that I can actually root for him now because I like Mookie Betts. It's hard not to like a guy like Mookie Betts with that personality, with that fire for the game, and who's that damn good. and. It's funny because you look at a guy like Manny Machado, and we talked about this last week. Signs a ten-year, three hundred million dollar contract to the Padres, and it's safe to say that he's underperformed. A lot of guys sign these big-time contracts, and then they don't live up to them because of the pressure of the contract. Mookie Betts just got life-altering money that set him, and he sets, sets up his entire family for generations. And all he does is continue to hit 300, continue to be on a 30 to 40 homer, 100 RBI pace for next for a full season. It's just absolutely incredible what this guy is able to do. And then you pair him in a lineup that already has Cody Bellinger and Justin Turner. Look out, man! Look out. Now the the Rockies are they're off to a hot start. The Padres have a good squad. But I still think the Dodgers are the team to beat, not just in the NL West or the National League, but also just in all of Major League Baseball. That is a loaded squad, top to bottom.
2: Yeah, I got to be honest. I really like the Padres. I, they were one of my favorite teams coming into this year to make a playoff run and maybe an unexpected playoff run a little bit. You know, they're, they're trying to build around Manny Machado right now, but Fernando Tatis really looks like the headliner of San Diego at the current moment. Um, but yeah, Machado, I mean, he's, he's underperformed. He's definitely not up to the standards that he was with the Orioles. Uh, you know, he's, he's not really hitting that well. Right now, he's off to a really slow start. Mm-hmm. I think he'll get there. Hit about 31 home runs last year. So the talent's there. He's still playing a great third base, but he's not Mookie Betts. He's clearly not no. that that five-tool, unbelievable talent that Mookie Betts is. There's almost no one better in the game than Betts is. Um, but Machado, it was, a, it was a deal that they're probably going to regret a few years down the road. They gave him so much money to be a little bit above average hitting-wise and really way above average fielding-wise. Mm.
1: And Let's be honest. Most of these big contracts, most of these 10-year, $250, $300 million contracts, they're regretted by the team that gives it to them. Definitely. But it's, it's it's the going rate to sign top talent like that. I think that the only contract that you can really look at and say that the team didn't regret it is the seven-year contract that Max Scherzer got from, yeah. from the Nationals. He has earned every single penny. Helped lead him to a World Series. The Nationals do not regret that. But you look at you look at Chris Davis here in Baltimore. You look at Albert Pujols, who was an otherworldly hitter when he signed that contract uh, with with the he signed it with the Angels, right? Yep. Yeah, when he signed that contract with the Angels, and he has fallen so short of that. Yeah. that he never put up numbers in L- in L.A. that he put up in St. Louis, and Mookie Betts, I think, has the potential to live up to his contract. Bryce Harper actually took less money for the comfortability of knowing you're going to be in the same spot for 13 years. And to me, Bryce Harper's a guy who could earn every penny of that contract because you signed him knowing that he's probably at his best at this point in his career, at his best, a 280 hitter um, that's going to get on base near a 450 clip, but he's going to hit 30 homers and drive in 100 runs. Bryce Harper's going to be that player for a long time. Uh, But other than he and Betts, boy, Manny Machado, he he does not look like the player that, that he was in Baltimore.
2: It's tough to watch, honestly, because he was just so—he captured this whole city, kind of like Lamar Jackson is doing Mm. now. He looked for the Orioles like an unbelievable superstar. Now he's just kind of on the back burner for the Padres. Fernando Tatis is definitely taking up most of the attention there right now. Uh, Machado is never trout. I mean, we're never going to say he's the best player in the league, but he was so much more of a player, and he meant so much more to the city of Baltimore than I think he does for San Diego.
1: He was he was the centerpiece, yeah, of, of of the Orioles out out in San Diego. He's got Fernando Tatis Jr., who is on track to be the MVP this year, and I don't think it'll be his only MVP award that he wins. He's, in my opinion, he's one of the top three or four players in the game easily right now, and and he has been since he since he came to the league. Now last year he was a little bit riddled by injury, but he still hit over 300 as a rookie. Fernando Tatis. Uh, is the, the, the focal point on that team. You have Eric Hosmer. Manny Machado was supposed to be the focal point on that team and he's kinda getting lost in the shuffle. You don't hear too many people talking about how he's off to a slow start because of what the Padres are doing as a whole and because of Fernando Tatis. But that dude needs to start hitting. He's he's not a two fifty hitter. You know, his worst season in Baltimore was twenty seventeen. He still hit thirty five home runs. He still drove in over ninety, but he hit Two fifty four. He got. He was off to a horrendous start the first half of the season. Before he caught fire late in in the season. That but that was the outlier. He hasn't come close to putting up what he did in Baltimore around that twenty seventeen season though.
2: Yeah, when when the Orioles traded him to the Dodgers, he was putting up massive numbers. It was I, I believe he was batting three twenty at the time, already twenty or so home runs. It was it was he was having an unbelievable season. He raised his trade value up. Uh, we'll have to see how that deal works out in the end. You know that's a whole different conversation. But Machado has definitely not looked like the same player. Um, I do want to mention Bryce Harper real quick. I do want to talk about him. Do you think he regrets signing in Philly because of the shortcomings the Phillies have right now?
1: I don't think that it's – we haven't seen enough for him to regret it. They, they were they were a solid team last year but not good enough to make the playoffs. Um, this year they're clearly underperforming. Uh, Reese Hoskins isn't a guy that you use to protect Bryce Harper. Right. So what what they're going to need to do, and they, they, I think that they're going to hope that bone becomes a middle-of-the-order hitter. He should. He was, I think, the number 33 overall prospect. Um, so I don't think he regrets it yet. I think he'll regret it if the front office doesn't make moves to make the team better. But the, what that bullpen is doing right now with an ERA approaching 10.5 is completely unacceptable. Uh, when you have a rotation that has Wheeler, Nola, Eflin, and Arietta is arguably your fourth starter, yep, and you don't have a bullpen that can come in and help them win games, that's just completely unacceptable. I do think that they're going to start hitting, but I think that they need to look elsewhere sooner rather than later for help in left field because Andrew McCutcheon, he's been on that downward trend in his career. You know, He's a nice player, great personality, a former MVP, but he's not... He's not what he once was. Reese Hoskins, I don't think is any better than a two hundred and forty hitter. No. With, with with Pop, he strikes out a ton. Didi Gregorius, I've always been a fan of his, but he's not a three hundred forty homer guy, and that's who you need protecting Bryce Harper. So Bryce Harper can be a three hundred forty homer guy.
2: Yeah, Bryce Harper. So far, I think he's lived up to it. Uh, he improved his fielding stats. Uh, last year, he you know, with OAA o- o- a- and DRS and all the other analytics that you can use to measure fielding, he d- improved all of them. Uh, he, you know, he definitely was fine out there in right field, and then he's great at the plate. He's still great at the plate. He's probably going to hit 30 home runs a year, like you said, drive in 100 runs. That's Bryce Harper, and I don't think that. We're seeing a different Bryce Harper than he was with the Nationals. It's pretty much the same, but you're right. There's no one else in that lineup to really supplement him. Uh, Gene Segura, he's fine. Like you said, Reese Hoskins, he's just he's terrible. He's not anywhere close to what he was his rookie year. He's a power bat who walks a lot, but he strikes out a lot too. Um, he's you know hitting a three double plays the other night against the Orioles. He's not. That good. There's just not really a great lineup there, like you said. Bo maybe becomes a middle of the order hitter at some point, but at, at, at this point, they're in a kind of tough spot with Harper being that only productive hitter in the lineup.
1: Um, just to inter- interrupt here for a moment, I just got a text message from Craig Heist. We called him twice. He said he never heard his phone ring. Um, I don't know if that was on his end on our on our or on our end. I knew that there had to be something up because Craig's not the type to do that. He's always very punctual and very good about getting on the line. So hopefully we can get him on the show next week. Sorry to our listeners for the technical difficulties that we had there. Um, I think Zach and I are doing our best to kind of carry the show until we get our next guest on the line. Uh, With that in mind, we're going to get another break. And then when we get back, we are going to talk to Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports. Baltimore's
4: favorite bar, Sliders Bar and Grill, is now open. Just across the street from Camden Yards, Sliders is open, and they've added new menu items, new frozen cocktails, and new 32-ounce beers. If you're not ready to go out just yet, you can still order from Sliders' carryout menu, and they still have liter bottles of hand sanitizer available for just $15. Call 443-835-0906 or 410-547-8891, or visit SlidersBaltimore.com. We'll see you this summer
0: at Sliders. If it's happening in Baltimore sports and beyond, it's happening on Glenn Clark Radio. New Ravens linebacker Patrick Queen. Appreciate y'all. Trey Mancini.
4: Thanks
7: for having me on, guys. Glad to be back on.
4: Ravens linebacker Matt Judon. Appreciate y'all. How y'all doing? Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutchman. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Coach Mark Turgeon. How you guys doing? Heston Kersstad. Thanks for having me. Joe Burrow. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coach Mike Loxley. Thanks for having me on. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you. For having me, I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be home. Dickie V, Dick Vital. Glenn
0: and Kyle, two diaper dandy. What's up, fellas? Hey, what's going on, Ed? Glenn and Kyle are live Monday through Friday, ten a.m. to noon, and archived anytime. Watch Facebook.com/slash PressBox Sports and listen PressBoxOnline.com/slash Radio. For more than 40 years, KS Automotive
4: has been repairing, restoring, and maintaining foreign and domestic vehicles with a focus on exceptional workmanship and customer service. Everything from oil changes to major body work. Call KS now at 410-235-6600 or go to knsimports.com. That's K&S at knsimports.com.
5: Ahoy, mateys. It's Royal Farms Chicken Palooza 3. About of Royal Farms Chicken Delights. Ah, Chicken delights, chicken delights. Get a two-piece chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new, hand-breaded, crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich, the Royal for just five bucks. Ah, Just five bucks. Quiet,
4: birdie. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit glorydaysgrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this challenging time in our community.
2: The edition of PressBox is now available. On the cover, we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Cal Ripken breaking Luke Garrick's consecutive games record and the unique 19 minutes of silence ESPN's Chris Berman spent while the celebration unfolded. Bill Ardian spoke to both Berman and Ripken about the incredible moment. Also inside, Kevin Zalis offers his fantasy football draft guide and much more. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And as always, you can find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at Pressbox.com.
1: All right, that was Zach's first live read for us. I think he kind of knocked it out of the park there. Uh, We have on the line now with us from Barstool Sports, uh, Eric Arditi. Eric, how are you today, man? How's it going?
7: Good, good. It's going. What's going on with you guys?
1: Uh, Just trying to do a show here. We've had a little bit of some technical difficulties here today, but... We're trying to carry the load as best as we can here and make up for it. So we had a guest that we were supposed to have on the line. That was the technical difficulties. But glad to have you on the show today, man. How are you feeling about the Orioles right now? Do you believe in what we're seeing from this ball club?
7: Um, I don't know if I believe it. I, I think it's fun. I'll tell you that much. I think it's fun to watch. Um. Again, I think last night was more of what people were kind of expecting that we would see from the Orioles: these these dropped fly balls, these these bad plays in the field, and just just getting you know their their teeth kicked in. Um, but 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 I mean, definitely the last couple of weeks have been fun to watch. Those sweeps were great. Uh, it was nice to, to cap off that that getting getting that day game win yesterday. Um, I, I I don't they're not. know Again, like, I know you and I talked about, what, two weeks ago, it was insane that people were saying 10 wins, you know, they may not even get there, but but I, I don't think they're the worst team, but I don't think they're the best team, like, people are saying, you know, we need to buy, we need to, who are we going to buy, how can we get Dylan Bundy back, and that's where it's like, alright guys, let's let's be real, if this team faces, I think, any of those playoff teams, I know I don't have any confidence in them beating the Yankees or the Twins or, or anyone like that in a, in a postseason series, but... Like I said, it, it, they've been fun to watch, and it's, it's, been a, it's been a bright spot, and it's been a, a rough couple of weeks.
1: Well, and so then, when we talk about this team, do you think it's a team that's just off to a hot start, or is it more that we're seeing the fruits of Hyde and Elias and Mydell's labors, analytically speaking, because they have a different approach than I'm used to seeing from this ball club?
7: I'm with you on the different approaches. I think I texted my buddy during uh, one of the Phillies games, and I said, I think I can count on one hand the amount of bad at-bats I've seen this season. And and he responded with, it, it looks like we're watching a, like a Yankees or a Red Sox uh, batter in the box because it's foul balls, there's not a lot of first first pitch. I know, I know when they are swinging on the first pitch, it's working, Um but I don't know, like, the at-bats are having really good at-bats, so I don't know if, you know, that is obviously leading to some of the success. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think that, that it, it does look like a different team than we've seen the last couple of years. They're stealing some bases, and again, just in the box, they, they look like completely different guys from last year.
1: Well, and with that in mind, and I know you just said, like, Look, we're not bringing. We're not going to trade to get Dylan Bundy back. We're not going to buy. But does this team, if they stay in contention for a few more weeks, do they start acting like a contending team? Do they start making moves to make this team better? And what I mean by that is, and I'm sure you you saw this and were giddy about it, knowing you, Eric, uh, that. Mike Elias was asked about Adley Rutschman, and he indicated that he would be a possibility if they were heading towards a playoff berth. Do you think we see more moves like that, and maybe a move or two to keep this team in contention? Uh,
7: the, the internal moves, maybe. Um, I, I mean, gun to my head, I still don't think we see Adley this year, and I, still, I just don't think we, we should. Um, and it's almost like if Mountcastle's not up by now, are are they really going to call up Adley in a couple weeks but again i mean who who knows they may rip off a 20 and 5 stretch or something and again kind of solidify a playoff spot um i i've also seen the you know the Yasiel Puig um story pop back up late last night again that the Orioles are still kind of keeping track on that uh and and that's i don't know if if they make a move is it going to be one like that like i don't see them unloading Prospects they have now—they're not going to trade a Dean Kramer to get someone, or, or trade, you know, Zach Lowther or someone like that to, to try and sure up a, a playoff spot. I wouldn't think so. And again, this may just be me. I just don't think this team—they're is, is, not—I don't think they're going to make noise in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to no. go on a magical run in October, and and you know, they're not going to be parading down Utah Street yet with the trophy. That that will say that for a couple of years. I, I I just don't know. I don't really want to break all those eggs right now to make an omelet if it's not going to be that good. Like if they're going to go into the playoffs and get swept by the A's and it's like, well, they traded Dean Kramer to get, you know, I don't know, someone that, I, I don't know. I'm just not sure if it's worth it this year. Like, cause then it's, you know, next year, I think is the time where then we start getting, well, Mountcastle's been up and you know, now the athlete clock is going to start and we see some of those other guys, maybe a Grayson or a DL or something like that.
1: Well, certainly. And I agree with you. I don't, I don't, want to see this team rob Peter to pay Paul so to speak. Mm -hmm. I don't don't want to see them trade prospects just to make it into the playoffs in a shortened season where they're probably a one and done situation. We know it's going to be a three game series in those wild card rounds this year but they could win two or three but I don't see them getting past a division series against anybody that else that's going to be in the playoffs despite how well they've played against Teams like the Rays, the Nationals, and the Phillies for that matter. Now, you did talk about Ryan Mountcastle and how we haven't seen him. And all reports indicate that he's not where they want him to be defensively. They're still trying to work on his plate discipline. But I'll tell you, Eric, Chris Davis, he's not striking out, but he's not hitting the ball with any kind of authority. He he looks slow. He looks sluggish. How much longer is his leash, and when can we realistically expect to see Ryan Mountcastle, considering we, already, we expected to have already seen him by now?
7: Yeah, I, I thought he would have been one of those. As soon as that, that date, I forget what it was, but whenever that date was up, that, that he could come up and not start the clock, I thought he would have been sitting outside of Camden Yards waiting for that, you know, text message or call from Elias, and, and he would have walked right in. Um, and, and Davis, I mean, again, all the, all the stuff we joked about in spring training and how, I, you know, I blogged that he was going to win Comeback Player of the Year and MVP kind of satire. Um, but obviously we wanted to see him carried over, and he's just – he's looked worse than he has in, in the past years. And, and like you said, he's not striking out three or four times a game, but he's, uh, he, he's nothing. He's, he's swinging a pool noodle. He's not. Yeah, he's not making any contact, and and he's he's just he's not doing anything. Um, and I even talked to a buddy last night. I said, I wonder if there's any situation where Elias or someone can go to him and say, Hey, we want you to opt out. I'm sure the play. I'm sure his agent would hate it and all that stuff. But hey, we're gonna we're gonna cut you, or you know, or we're gonna bench you. You're not gonna be part of this team going forward. We can either make that announcement now or. You can opt out and say it's for your family, and say it's for your young kids. You'll get paid, and we'll see you in spring training next year, or something like that. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's, it's it's something that definitely crossed my mind because again, it's. I think Dan Connolly wrote something like Davis isn't going to get cut, but his playing time absolutely needs to be, and I, I think that that it's never been more true. I mean, he's 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 never really been blocking a guy. I guess you can consider Trey. He was blocking, but they moved. You know he. He, he adjusted well to the outfield. And with Castle it's like the guy's been struggling defensively for, what, three or four years? Because that's the, been the book on him forever. Is his vast major league ready, but his glove isn't. And, again, we've heard that since he was drafted. Um, so it's it's like now that there's a guy who you can stick there or you can put Nunez there and, and kind of move the lineup around, now that they have that guy and he's still just, just stinking it up at the plate, they, they've got to do something. I, I would hope... By maybe next Friday, they they, they come to some, some agreement or or something, or they just bring a Mountcastle, and and, and we kind of start the you know the Ryan Mountcastle uh, train.
2: Yeah, Chris Davis. I mean, he just—he's been nothing, like you said. I mean, every at bat he comes up, and maybe in the past years you could have at least expected him to do something. I mean, maybe put a ball in play hard or, or do something like that. His swing looks completely off now, though. And, and every time he comes to the plate, I pretty much just expect nothing at this point. It's—it's it's an automatic out. It's a black hole in our lineup. He's not playing the defense that he was in past years. This is definitely the worst version of Chris Davis. He hasn't carried over anything uh, since the spring. I'm not sure, really. He—he's blocking anybody but it's just it's just time to get rid of him it's it's over he's not living up to any part of his contract i you know i'd, I'd like to see him go as about as soon as possible
7: yeah a- again it's just i mean they're given it what five years four years of the deal it's like a yeah. it, guys it's i mean we, we've seen this movie before we've read the book we know how it goes he's gonna he'll have some quotes when he's in an over 30 slump and say this is harder on me than it is on anyone I'm and i'm I'm willing to work on anything, and then uh, and then he'll have the same batting stance, and he'll go up and flail at strike one, or foul off two, and then you know, he's, and then he's in an O2 hole, and, and he's back in the dugout before you even blink. So, I, yeah, I, I'm again, I I appreciate what he did in the past. Um, it, it was you know, he was he was super fun to watch, he was great to look for, but it's I, I think I think this ship has failed and I again I think it's time to find a way to to, to Kindly remove him from the team, and it's again, I think now we're in this area too, where it wouldn't surprise me if they if they just eat the money and 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 cut him the DFA him or whatever. But but again, it's it's I mean we're getting close, and I think this also shows now more than anything that this is a it's an ownership thing wanting to keep him around. Because if if I had a guess, Hyde would have had him gone last it's not year. last year, then months ago. You know, it, it seems like there's definitely something holding. The team back from letting him go, and it, it may just be the Suns.
1: It's you don't want to pay somebody to not do anything for your ball club, and I and I I understand that you know, and especially he got off to that such an amazing start in spring training, hitting over four thirty. You know, it, most of his hits were going for extra bases. He had walked nine times and only struck out three times uh, before the play got halted down there in Sarasota, and then he comes out now and he looks. As lost as ever at the play. he's he's expanding the zone when he's making contact. He's not hitting the ball hard, and I had hopes—not high hopes, but hopes—that he could hit 220 this year, maybe hit 15 home runs. And now I'm looking at this guy, and now more than ever, I just believe his career is over. I believe his career is over, and I think that at this point in time, the Orioles will be wise to to maybe not at maybe not right now, but at the end of the season. Just go into 2021 with him not in your plans because, yeah, you're you're paying him a ton of money, but he's arguably the worst everyday player in Major League Baseball, and it's not particularly close. It's just evident to me that his career is 100% over.
7: I'm with you there. I don't see anyone taking a fly on him or a minor league deal, and I don't see him even accept. you know, say in two years or whatever when the deal's up or, or whenever it is, and then Someone comes in and say, "Hey, Chris, you know, we'll, we'll give you a minor league deal." He's not going to take that. He's he's going to take his money and ride off in the sunset. And he probably should. So I, I'm with you there. I, I think I think whatever he, I think is a bad limit, is limit, And maybe you know another I don't, I don't know what is it 45 games or whatever he has left. Um, and again, he had a, he had a good career. He was arguably, yeah, I he' finished top two in the MVP that one year. Top three in 2013. Um, I think he finished. Seven. Yeah, yeah, the the the, the 53 home run year, I think. But, yeah, he's, he's a good player. Again, I'm with you, though. I, I think when when his contract runs out, I don't see how anyone would... would Because, again, like he said, it, it would be different if he was like, hey, I will change my swing. I will, you know, move around in the box, do something like that. But he said that for the last five years, and, and he hasn't done anything about it. So, so you know, he's not going to listen to some brand-new hitting coach if he wasn't with, listening to Scott Colball, who he had down in Texas. So I, I'm with you there, and... and um, I forget I I had another point I was gonna make about I forget what it was, um about the whole Davis thing. But yeah, I, I just and again, maybe if it is at the end of the year, this is what I was gonna say now, I remember. If they if they do let him go at the end of the year, then then going into spring training next year it's such a different story than, than you know, the last year on Chris Davis' deal, what are we gonna see and, and how is he gonna how's he gonna perform? Now it's like, all right, that page is turned. We're on to a new chapter, and, and, and it's officially the young guys, and, and, and this is this is the future of the team, and this is the direction they're going. So, yeah, I, that may be a good thing for the team, because, again, you're not going to have Hyde answering questions every other day. In the bat, or you're not going to have, you know, they're not going to be asking Mount Castle about not playing at first or whoever they have playing there. So, yeah, I, I think that would be, it would definitely be a breath of fresh air for, uh, for the team and, and I think everyone around it.
1: Absolutely. I think he's the last holdover from that 2012 team. Um, so it would literally be the changing of an era and breathing new life into the team, saying this is the direction we're going in now and this is, the, this is our team moving forward.
2: Yeah, and with Davis, too, um, you know, Jim Palmer was talking about how he should be changing his stance and maybe making a few adjustments in the box, and this was a few years ago now, and Davis came out the next day, I think it was a game against the Chicago White Sox, and he changed his stance, he started crouching down, did a weird thing with his hands, and then never did it again. That was one time, I think, maybe to be in spite of Jim Palmer. He was making fun of him. Yeah, for sure, and Davis is in no place to do that, a Hall of Fame pitcher, Um but, you know, it, it, like Paul said, his, his career is 100% over. It's, it's time to break ties. I really don't think the Orioles will do it soon, though. I think that it's going to be a little bit longer maybe after this season, but I don't think it will be in season.
1: I have to say, I did not expect to spend this much time talking about Chris Davis in 2020 um, and having the same conversation, really, that we've been having since the, the second half of 2016. But, Eric, moving moving on, Uh, We saw that Keegan Aiken made his major league debut yesterday. Uh, Then he got sent down after the game to make room for Lopez. Uh, John Means is coming back into this rotation potentially tomorrow. I would imagine it's it's, it's still TBD for tomorrow, but I think that's going to be Means' start tomorrow. LeBlanc has left a a lot to be desired in this rotation. Malone has been – Malone needs good defense behind him, which the Orioles did not give him yesterday to be an effective pitcher. Do you see any other starting pitching help coming to kind of solidify this rotation? Because after Wojciechowski, Cobb, and Means, we're not sure about Eshelman. They're they're kind of thin, right? Yeah, and I, I think, like
7: you said, after the guys you named, I think they're just guys. I think Tommy Malone is a guy. I think Wade LeBlanc is a guy. Like they're just Eshelman too. They're they're good. Like I'm not I'm not expecting them to to. Again, we're not going to ride Thomas Escalman's back into the playoffs. We're not. We're not going to hitch our wagon to him. I think they're good, they're, they're good enough to kind of get by for this season. Um, and I don't know if they have those 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 arms on the farm ready right now. I mean, I, obviously, I, I as much as I want to see um, Grayrod and, and you know DL and them, they're not, I mean, they're not going to come up this year, and they shouldn't. Um, so I I, don't, I just don't think they have that the depth they that they that that we want them to have down there, and it's just not ready this year. Again, I, I think we're going to see kind of just a filler of the Tommy Malones and Eshelman. and and you know I'm sure Keegan Aiken will make a, a couple starts. I would think. I know that that they've been saying that that they want him for long relief, which is fine. But I, I think we'll definitely see a start or two out of him at least. Um, but yeah, I I just think again Eshelman and after means and Cobb, who's I think looks fantastic this year and Wojo and those guys I, I think they're just literally guys they're just, they're just kind of placeholders
1: well and I think that that's why what the Orioles have done through the first third of the season has been so unbelievable because they have just guys placeholders in their starting rotation and you certainly don't see another 11-8 and eight stretch coming when your rotation is what it is now like you said Cobb has been fantastic Cobb has been the guy that got that four-year contract from the Orioles prior to 2018. He's been that guy this year. I don't think that because, because they owe him a lot of money next year, I don't think that he's going to be traded this year. I think that he will finish the season with the Orioles and start next year with them. And at that point, he might as well you might as well just ride it out with him. Um, Wojciechowski, he's got really good stuff, but sometimes he struggles to command it early in the game. It takes him a couple of innings to really control it. But he's pitched fairly well. But after that, you have Eshelman, who fastballs, what, tops out at 89 miles an hour. He's more of a location guy. And then you have LeBlanc, who's been bad. I think that that's why, why this Orioles start is so surprising, because they don't have those arms that would le- le- usually lead to a start like this.
7: Yeah, I'm with, if, if you would have told me that Means, Means would have had a really good start uh Cobb would have had a really good start and Wojo would have had a really good start. I would have said, Yeah, I, I could see eleven and eight maybe Escherman get a win or maybe may, you know maybe Malone sneaks one in or LeBlanc. But like you said, I mean we've seen what? a not even a full real start from means. You know, I think you made basically one and a half starts. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's just basically been Cobb and, and um and Wojo. And you know, I mean we've seen some some the outings from LeBlanc, like you said, they've they've left a lot to be desired but I I've always remember going away from them, going, okay, I, I'm okay with that. You know, four, four and two thirds, five and a third, something like that, limiting damage and and kind of and and just just getting them to go long enough where you're not burning the pen in the third inning and, and beyond. So I, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm I, I would have loved if we could have gotten you know some great starts out of John Means, and, and hopefully, you know, once he's back from this uh, the loss of his father, he can he can he can kind of show us the
1: John Means from last year. Well, and as well as they're playing right now, this is still a season of evaluation. So you, you, you're you kind of hoping that you have an ace in the making in John Means. Uh, and then seeing what you have in Wojciechowski, he's no spring chicken. I believe he's 30, 31 years old at this point, which is young in life, but not young in baseball. Um, so you're really kind of seeing what you have, which makes me think that at some point, you're gonna to want to bring up a Dean Kramer or a Michael Ballman or a Bruce Zimmerman to make some starts in September to see if they can be if they can help you in the coming seasons because otherwise you're waiting for guys like you said like Grayrod and uh, DL Hall to ascend to the major leagues and they're probably still a year to two away.
7: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And again, you know those guys you named, um, I wouldn't hate to see them again come up and and. Fill in a spot, you know, a spot start or something like that, and see what Zimmerman has, and and see what Balman has, and and I'm is, is Alex Wells even in their the Bowie camp or not? I I feel like he's a guy that that was high a couple of years ago, and then we haven't really heard anything from him. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just some of those guys who again, if if it comes to September and they've lost 29 of of 35 or something like that, it's kind of the year we expected. I would 100. percent you know, be okay with with watching his zoom in or Bowman or, or all their, you know, some of those guys and and seeing what uh what they can do.
1: Well, yeah, you, you mentioned Alex Wells. I was actually thinking about him the other day because we haven't heard anything about him. I don't know if he's at their alternate site or not.
2: He is not at the alternate site.
1: Okay, Zach says he's not at the alternate site, and you know that's that's a guy who has had a sub three ERA. I think almost every year that he's been in the organization. He's coming out of Australia. Um, he. Uh, he doesn't walk a ton of guys. I, th- I believe two years ago he walked ten. Two or three years ago he only walked ten guys in an entire season. He just doesn't walk anybody. But his issue there is his fastball sits in the mid 80s. He has a big, slow, looping curveball, and he's a very much a location guy. But what I did like about, from what I heard about Alex Wells from a scout, is that if you beat him in a location on one of his pitches, you will never see the same pitch in the same location again to that same batter.
7: Yeah, and that's, like you were saying, the book on him. He's not going to strike. He's not going to throw one by you. Um, but, again, he, and his stuff isn't the best, but his location, he's good enough to kind of pinpoint it. And, and like you said, I, I remember just that one year where he walked to 10 guys, like, following up every start on Twitter. It was like, you know, zero walk, zero walk. And then when he would walk someone, it was like big news. Like, oh, crap, did you <laughs> to walk a single guy today? And, and then you're like, yeah, he topped out at 86. But, again, it's fine because he walked one guy. So and, and you know even if he's not in the camp, that don't maybe a guy that I don't know maybe they they can see what they have in him and and I don't know if he's just not an Elias guy or something. But he was always a name that again I thought I thought we we hear more about just because of how good his control was and maybe they'd be able to work with him. But
1: yeah, cer- certainly a guy who knows how to pitch rather than just throw. So Eric, yeah, really he's, great, really
7: he great throw. He definitely pitches.
1: Definitely, so really great segment from you today. Before we let you go, we're going to ask you to do. Take part in two things here. They're kind of the same, but kind of not. All right, so the first one, and this is your baby, Dong City. Who you got tonight? Let
7: me see. It's Corbin going. I mean, I'll I'll stick with the – I think he's my only pick so far that I've gotten right. I'll I'll go Nunez tonight. Nunez.
1: All right, and I better see that on Twitter. Don't go changing it up on me.
7: Yeah, you will, you will.
1: All right. Uh, and then finally, a segment that we've created here on the bat Around, we call it Take to Rake, as in who are you going to take to rake? And the, the point here is kind of like what Jeremy and Scott did on 105.7 where they did pick-to-click, only we do it for the full week. So we need you to pick one player that you think is going to have the best week for the Orioles' offense for this coming from this Saturday to next Saturday.
7: Ooh, if, it, if it wasn't a week, I would have probably said Severino. I just don't know. He'll probably get the majority of this. I- I'll stick with him. I'll go Sevy. I'll go Seve. You know, if it's a catcher, I'm not going to get that as many starts as the others. But, he- I mean, he's been hot. He's I love the bat. He's swinging. So, let's uh, let's stick with Seve.
1: Yeah, and you know, Severino actually has not been picked yet in take to rake through the first four weeks of this show. And he has been swinging a hot bat. He's hitting over 300 right now. And I think that he's going to get more starts than you think, Eric, because I think that they like his defense better than Chance behind the plate. So which isn't so, saying which isn't saying much because I don't think
7: Severino is very good at all.
1: Yeah, I don't think he is either. But no. I think <laughs> I think they like him better than Cisco. Um, yeah.
7: No, I'm I'm with you there
1: too. So all right, Eric, excellent job, man. Thanks for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate you joining us today.
7: Absolutely, guys. Appreciate, appreciate it,
1: Eric. It. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Take it easy.
7: Later, guys.
1: All right, and that was Eric Arditi of Barstool Sports joining the show for the second time. It was it was good to talk with Eric today about baseball. Because when he came on the show uh, the first week of the show, he was talking about Mo Gab And we love talking about Mo. But it, it, it was a sad conversation because Mo died a few days later. Uh, so really, really nice to get Eric on the line with us today and talk exclusively about baseball and really let him show his, his acumen for the game and his personality. And speaking. Of personality as we come to you from the live casino hotel studio here on the Bat Around this Saturday morning, August fifteenth, we have a couple of great personalities every Monday through Friday. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer bring their pragmatic and irreverent approach to Baltimore sports via PressBox's Glenn Clark Radio. Watch the show at Facebook.com/slash PressBox Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com/slash Radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. This week, the guys caught up with Carl Ravich and Eduardo Perez from ESPN, as well as Phil Sims and Ralph Friedgen, the former Maryland uh, head football coach. Find those interviews today in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com. That's Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review at PressBoxOnline.com. When we get back from the break, Zach's going to join us for his first ever Take the Rake.
0: If you're looking to make an impact, there's no better place to do that than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure deadly diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world, and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? Go to army.com Baltimore to find out. To learn more, contact your local Army recruiter and find out. Us- on social media at U.S. Army Baltimore.
5: Are you hungry? Well, sail over to Royal Farms for Chicken Palooza 3 and get your hooks on a two-piece world-famous chicken box with a portion of each sale benefiting the Johns Hopkins Children's Center or the all-new hand-breaded crispy on the outside, tender on the inside, world-famous chicken sandwich the Royal for just five bucks. Shiver me tenders. Real fresh, real fast.
4: Royal Farms. Glory Days Grill's summer seasonal menu is now available for dine-in, dine-out on the patio, or to-go. It's a new season, so enjoy new flavors. Try their new knockout shrimp or the delicious lobster roll with grilled corn made with real Maine lobster. They're open from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. Visit GloryDaysGrill.com for a location near you. From the Glory Days Grill family, stay healthy and stay positive during this
0: challenging time in our community. The biggest pro wrestling star Ours today and all time all have one thing in common. You've heard them on Jobbing Out.
5: Brett the Hitman Hart. It's good to be on the show. Adam Cole. How are you guys doing today? Matt Riddle. Yeah, man. Thanks,
7: man.
4: Broken Matt Hardy. Excellent. The bad guy. Scott Hall. Mm, hey, yo. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
7: Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard.
5: MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Yeah, Chris
4: Jericho
0: the champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at Pressboxonline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud.
1: All right, welcome back to the final segment of the Battle Round from the live casino hotel studio. Zach Goodman from Nate Hit the Foul Pole Podcast. Joining me today. Zach, really appreciate you coming in, man. Vasilios only he, he let me know mid-show last week that he wouldn't be here, and you're one of the first people I thought of. I'm really, really happy to have you in here. I think you've done a great job, so thanks for coming on with us today.
2: Appreciate it. Enjoy
1: it. Of course, and Zach will be back on with us next week as well while Vasilios uh, finishes up his vacation. And, you know, we don't have a co-host set in stone right now. It's supposed to be your partner, Matt Pine, but again, the health risk with his family, so he hasn't been in. So maybe... In the future, we can have you co host a few more shows with us. I'd love to. I think you're doing a great job, so I would be happy to have you. Uh, In the meantime, now it is, well, it's almost time for Take to Rake. Zach mentioned to me that we didn't make any picks for Dong City. Now, Dong City, we actually have to follow through with this and we have to put our picks on Twitter, and we will. Zach, you are the guest. Not only do you get the first pick for Take to Rake, you get the first pick for Dong City after Eric Arditi, of course.
2: Yeah, starting with Dong City, I got to go with Hanser Alberto tonight, off a lefty. Corbin hasn't been that good this year. I think that's a perfect matchup for Hanser, so I, I'm definitely going to pick Hanser for Dong City.
1: I'm going to take Renato Nunez. Okay. I'm. I. He hasn't hit a home run in in, in a good bit yeah. um, since that two homer game, so I'm going to take Renato Nunez to to take him deep. And actually, uh, that's not who I'm taking. I apologize. Renato Nunez is who, I'm, is who I'm taking in take to rake. For Dong City, I'm taking Pedro Severino. I got him flip-flopped. Okay. So I, apparently my entire day is flip-flopped right now, everybody. But uh, So Pedro Severino for Dong, for, um, for Dong City, Renato Nunez for take to rake, unless you wanted to take Nunez because you were supposed to have the first pick.
2: No, I was going to go with Hanser Alberto again for take the ring. Okay. I just feel like he's such a hot streak right now. He's crushing doubles into the gap every time you turn around. Uh, You know, Hanser just crushes the ball, so I'm going to go with him.
1: All right. All right. That is the second straight week that somebody's taken Hanser Alberto. Uh, Last week it was Vasilios, and Vasilios took Alberto. I took Iglesias, and Jeremy Kahn took Nunez. Now, Nunez went nine, I'm sorry, seven for 19 with. Two RBIs. Alberto went nine for twenty-seven with four RBIs, and Iglesias went I believe four for or three for eleven.
2: It was four for seventeen.
1: Four for seventeen. That's what that's what it was. It was four for seventeen. Um, didn't play much. I clearly lost. Um, so it was really down to Jeremy Khan and Vasilios with their two picks, and I had to lean to Vasilios because. Alberto four RBIs hit 333 for the week. Got more bats. Got uh got more hits. It's got to be Hanser Alberto. Renato Nunez had a really nice week at nine for uh, seven for 19 though. So it was it was it was tough. But I had to give the edge to Vasilios there. So Vasilius is up to the one on me right now and take the rake. Zach is taking Hanser Alberto and I am taking Renato Nunez. We'll join you next week and we will see who won Take the Rake plus much more Orioles, Nationals, and baseball talk. Thank you so much for joining the show. We'll see you next week.